the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Tuesday, December 5th, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 297. Make sure to subscribe to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree that will take the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. What's up, everybody, and get ready for our big Tuesday edition of the show today. I'm Roan. Noah's going to be joining us in just a bit. We've got a great slate of guests lined up today. We're going to be sitting down with former FBI agent and whistleblower Steve Friend senior editor-at-large of Newsweek. Josh Hammer will be back and joining us again. We'll be sitting down with the man who's now running Veterans for Trump, Chad Kadem for the first time, and Newsmax contributor and conservative consultant, Brian Leib will be here as well. Lots of breaking news. We're obviously going to be checking in on Capitol Hill and get a little bit of a roundup from there. President Trump rocked a speaking event out in Cedar Rapids, Iowa this weekend. We've got full coverage. The narrative against the America First movement continues to ratchet in the negative direction. We've got a couple highlights for you there as well. And we'll get the latest from the 2024 campaign trail. But before we get to any of our guests, let's jump right into the headlines and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not Nam, this is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! tell you, the, the plurality of American people now, latest Gallup poll, says that we're spending too much in Ukraine. The reason they say that is because the White House has completely dropped the ball on this. They've not been able to say what the objective is. What's the end game? Is there oversight over the money? We all have the same concerns. Nobody wants Vladimir Putin to prevail and march through Europe, because I don't think he would stop there. Most of us agree. He might try to go to the Balkans next, and our allies over there are nervous for good reason. But we have, made, we have laid down the line so clear. I did it to the White House. I've told the President, Jake Sullivan, National Security Advisor, as recently as 48 hours ago, we will not be sending money to Ukraine unless we get border policy changes on our own border. Our constituents back home say, why would we help to secure the border of a foreign country when we don't have our own? So we've laid down the law. We passed H.R. 2, House Resolution 2, is our big immigration reform, our border reform uh, bill. And I told Chuck Schumer himself two days ago. That is the line. We passed that out of the House. It's been sitting over there on your desk collecting dust. We fix the border before we do anything. Is that a money thing that you're asking for? Because if you give more money to border, then they're just going to use it to process more people. H.R. 2 is policy change. It goes back to the policies that we had during the Trump era when we had this thing uh, squeezed down to almost nothing. It's, you know, the remain in Mexico. It's asylum reform. It's the parole uh, prescriptions, all the things we've all talked about. That's what we have to have. It's not throwing more money to process illegals. Right. It's changing right. and closing the border, and we're demanding it. We, we, we're going to die on that hill. And you're committed to these all being separate funding bills? We, they have to be, uh, because there's no other way, Will, to ensure stewardship over the funds, to make sure that they're adequately uh, uh, watched and spent. And, and uh, if, you, if you glob it all together like that, you lose control over the policy, and that's why we've been so rigid on this. When you say die on that hill, does that mean you know, I know there was a continued resolution passed that there was some grumbling about, but you're saying when it when it comes down to a government shutdown and showdown, HR two is a is a part of that. Anytime I meet with Senate colleagues, and I was at the Senate Republican luncheon a couple of days ago, I talked to the you know Chuck Schumer and the Democrats, I talked to Hakeem Jeffries, my my uh, counterpart in the the minority leader in the House. I said if I had 
T-shirts that would print one thing, border, border, border. That's where the Republicans are because that's where the American people are. We have to do that first before we do any of these other things. That's where we stand. And as you all know, this is not just a southern border issue. This is at impacting yeah. communities and states across the country. Look at New York. Look at the illegal immigration crisis right here that's impacting northern border states all across this country. Every community is a border community, so our members are unified Ma in understanding Malibu. how important it is. Malibu. It's in Malibu. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's yeah. unbelievable. Well, You're Congress right. Congresswoman Stefani. All right, everybody, welcome to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Marone. Noah's keying up as we speak right now. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back to America's fastest-growing political podcast. That was Congressman and Speaker of the House Mike Johnson to get things started. Programming note, we were supposed to be sitting down with South Carolina Representative Ralph Norman today. However, due to some committee work and some votes that were being held on the House floor, he's rescheduled and will be joining us to our Friday edition of the podcast. And we're going to be getting things started off right now doing our best to bring you guys a Capitol Hill roundup. And we've parlayed that into our opening audio today with Speaker of the House Mike Johnson, who appeared on Fox News' Fox & Friends yesterday to kind of talk about where House Republicans are as an entire unit. Noah, I, there were a lot of good things I heard right there when, when we heard Speaker Johnson for about two minutes. He talked about the passing of H.R. 2 and how it's been sitting in the Senate. We stressed that to our listenership, who seems so impatient with every time any congressman or woman comes on the show or posts anything on social media. Everyone online is just basically like, F you, close the border. It doesn't really work <laughs> that way in a vote-based system. But when House Republicans did pass the legislation needed to get back to those Trump-era policies, and Chuck Schumer is the leader in the Democrat-controlled Senate, is just sitting on it. You know, what, what can you say to remind everybody that we, we already did the work, we're just waiting for the bill to pass? Yeah, they need to stop dicking around and just get it all sorted out. I don't think anybody can look at how the border was under control during the Trump administration, even with every single other detractor from President Trump taking every step possible to just, like, hamstring his, his efforts. Everything was safer. There was less people coming in. I mean, when you have Democratic governors of New York like Eric Adams, like— literally just shitting his pants and being like, okay, this isn't working. Like forget all that shit. I just said about everybody's welcome to come. Mm. Don't come anymore. Cause we're, we're kind of fucked. Don't come. Don't come. Don't come. <laughs> I'm going to come. There you go. You know, Byron Donald's put out a statement yesterday and, and Joe Biden is so sad that the money for Ukraine runs out on, on January 31st of this year. In addition, uh, a lot of the aid moving forward that we're, we're going to be assisting in uh, Israel is also being held up because of what's going on with the border funding. What's Sweatsuit been saying about the Ukraine stuff uh, drying up? So over the course of the last week, Zelensky's put out very few public statements, but in one where he was addressing his war cabinet, they're talking about, and I'm not even joking, <laughs> pulling back and making permanent fortified defensive positions in the eastmost regions of Ukraine. Um, so it looks like they're going to be ceding a little bit of land before they come to the negotiation table, much like Colonel McGregor had already said. And also they're running out of troops where, you know, you had the top general in Ukraine last week uh, reveal that the average age of a serviceman in the fight against Vladimir Putin right now is right around the age of 43 years mm. old. Mm. Wait, you mean he's not going to keep fighting until... The borders from 2014 or 15 are, are restored? <laughs> or until he decides when. <laughs> oh, God, what an embarrassment. You know, the people that have laundered a quarter of a trillion dollars into uh, that country since the start of the conflict, they should all be up for hangings at the very least. Yeah. But, you know, moving forward, I, I hope we really get some oversight provided on, on what went into that Ukraine conflict, where the 
you know, peace negotiation breakdowns came and a, and a timeline provided. And, you know, so many people have died there. It's just really unfortunate to kind of see it all develop in real time. But I hate to say we told you so. If, if it can't be us, at least Colonel McGregor did every time he came on the show for the last over a year now. Yeah, and everybody just has to know now, seeing it, that it was the biggest theatrical psyop that the country's seen in fucking forever. Like, the biggest money laundering operation since Weapons of Mass Destruction. And You're the fact about yellow cake <laughs> and and the fact that this Zelensky guy goes from just wearing like olive drab uh, onesies to like monogrammed olive drab onesies Ooh. instead of like wearing a suit. It's like, I know this guy isn't going to come wearing a freaking track suit and stand around grimacing at everybody. I, it's just, it's not real. It's, it, it was just all, it was all just theatrics. It, it was, it was bad. No, and, and, you know, the one thing that hasn't happened in real time, because we do want to kind of straight shoot it here, Russia has not moved far enough west or southwest to kind of take over Odessa, which was one of the final things Colonel McGregor said would happen. Uh, at this point, it would still be a major, at least geographic win for the Russian Federation right now and their operation to, you know, stop the NATO nations and places like Ukraine from expanding into their territory. But when you talk about the level of defeat that Ukraine is about to incur, especially with the, the funding seeming all to dry up and there's no way that you could leave the rest of the European Union on the hook to take care of this war. I mean, it, it's to the point right now, if you're not tracking, I can understand most Americans are kind of bored with the Ukraine situation. It's gotten down to where there's almost no more fighting on the ground. And the only thing Ukraine is getting from any of its allies is long range weaponry to take pot shots at Russian positions because they can't do anything else to them. I'm seeing less Ukrainian flags around too. Lots of them. More Palestinian flags now. Ooh. I've even seen some down here in Southern California, which is kind of alarming to me. Probably as well. a lot of Amazon returns. Byron Donald's office put out a statement yesterday following Speaker Johnson's appearance on Fox and Friends. I'm not tying anything to Ukraine aid. What we're saying is the administration wants to talk about supplemental funding for anything. The southern border must be secured first. Until that happens, the house is closed. So we had told everybody, have a little patience. Let Mike Johnson meet with all of his people, figure out what he needs to do, prioritize. And as things are moving, it looks like in the right direction for the Joe Biden impeachment inquiry. Obviously, we start getting those you know, depositions up on Capitol Hill next week, first behind closed doors before public committee. Hunter Biden will be on December 13th. You have also investigations uh, into seeing if we're going to be able to impeach Alejandro Mayorkas. And then moving forward, when, when you're talking about stuff legislation-wise, listen, if Joe Biden wants to shut down the government because he won't secure the border, I think all the Americans at this point have seen what's going on and uh, are going to be pretty much in agreement with him. Here's what I don't agree with, Noah. There's been kind of an online campaign from one of our adjacents here in America First. You might know him. He's weaponized a word. I think we all know the word. Ooh. Apparatus. So there's like, okay. <laughs> if we want a guest on our show, we reach out to them over and over again until they at least respond. Yes or no. Once it's yes, it's over and over again until we lock it in and then they're here. How do you think setting up like an online bullying campaign to have Speaker Mike Johnson <laughs> join Steve Bannon on his show is working for him? <laughs> I don't know. Is, is it working? I mean, I've seen some really heavily worded posts like, okay, here's a good example. If you were Speaker Mike Johnson mm -hmm. and, and you were looking about where you want to go to do some media and you saw a post on X, formerly Twitter, where it says, 
hey, motherfucker, remember what happened to MTG? You don't want to be like that. And, and and then like that's kind of the narrative we're we're gonna use in, in trying to to bully you. Come on our show, or we're gonna treat you like MTG. And it's like, well, MTG kind of did it to herself with that whole affair she had with Kevin McCarthy, and then siding with him when they were trying to motion to vacate. And, yeah, and she abandoned the twenty. It's not really uh you know anything to do with her her policy shift. It was more of her vagina shift. Ooh, vagina. There you go. But the thing is, let the man do his work. I mean, every single time Mike Johnson, like, farts now, people are being so hypercritical of him. We're in, like, week four and a half since he took the speaker gavel. We've already gotten, you know, several more appropriations bills finished. And now he's going out publicly and saying, if Joe Biden won't shut down the border, but he's not getting another continuing resolution, single-subject appropriation bills aren't going to get passed in the Senate, and the government's going to get shut down because of him. It seems like the ball is back in Republicans' court. Even out of the chaos that was stemming from that Kevin McCarthy-led coup, which saw George Santos expelled from Congress the other day. And I hope a lot of our you know, listeners understand that. George Santos, the only reason he's not a congressman anymore is because Kevin McCarthy finally found a way that he could hurt Matt Gates. You know, Matt Gates and Kevin McCarthy have like a blood feud going on here. And over the course of the last several months, and especially since the motion to vacate, Kevin McCarthy has been going around. We're going to hear him in just a second here. Say Matt Gates belongs in jail. Electorally, with his positions and in, in House leadership, Kevin McCarthy can no longer do anything to Matt Gates. I feel like Matt Gates' ethics investigation isn't going to go anywhere, and that's why they sped up George Santos's, and and in the same time haven't done anything with getting a disposition on Matt Gates's as well. You know, and, and when they saw that the only thing they could do is possibly get Santos expelled from Congress, who's really good friends with Matt Gates, friends with all the American First congressmen and women. They went for it and shot their shot, and long story short, we lost Congressman Santos, a Republican vote that's going to be a Democrat vote now moving forward for something as petty as the feud between Kevin McCarthy and Matt Gates. But that's neither here nor there. Let's hear this former Speaker of the House crying to Maria Bartiromo on her show Sunday morning, continuing to whine about Matt Gates incumbent lost. We beat more than double digits of Democrats, and we could even have our biggest election this cycle. And I want to make sure I'm a part of not just having won two majorities, but growing this majority even stronger. And I'm going to yeah. continue to do my part. How, how has your life changed now with the new speaker? Do you think that you're going to be able to get these appropriations bills done in this two-laddered approach that Mike Johnson has come up with? Well, I think uh, I think Johnson was very smart about making sure keeping our troops paid, especially in the Mediterranean, where they are right now. Yep. Unfortunately, we had a number of members doing the exact same thing they did before, uh, of stopping bills from moving forward. We're going to have to come together. Uh, we, we do know this is really driven, as you know, and you've had in this show, Matt Gates' ethics complaint. I think once that ethics complaint comes forward, he could have the same problem as Santos has, and <laughs> I think the conference would be probably better united to be able to move forward and get this all done. Uh, Speaker, good to have you this morning. Thank you, sir. Yeah, right. Yeah, let's go ahead and start that music five minutes ago. Oh, you never saw Kevin McCarthy getting curtain calls back Mm-mm. in the day. And uh, there you go. You got the old big cane out trying to, he's trying to dodge it and they're trying to get it around his neck. But no, that's the thing. These are the priorities of the K Street rhino side of the Republican House, the ones who haven't announced their retirement left. And listen, if there's one thing that Noah and myself are looking for this this Christmas season right now, 
aside from your continued listenership and, and following the show across every downloadable podcasting platform, it's for Kevin McCarthy to announce that he won't be running for re-election in his seat next year and turning into the next version of Paul Ryan as a Republican or conservative consultant and someone who goes out there and says, like, if you vote for Donald Trump, you're basically <laughs> initiating the end of humanity. You're the devil. James Comer, who also has been getting kind of bullied online by the the war room posse. <laughs> Dude, James Comer posts something and it's like, when was the last time he was on fucking war room? It's like all these com- I was like, that's not the way to have to have them come on your show. Like I get it. It works for us. It does not. We do joking. not bully people. <laughs> no, just kidding. We have built a, a very We're very polite in yes, our bullying. We have we have a very good reputation amongst America First and we are well well received within the House Freedom Caucus. Had some Recent developments on the Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, and Biden crime family investigation moving forward. He put out an announcement via the House Oversight Committee Twitter page yesterday. Let's check it out. Joe Biden claimed there was an absolute wall between his official government duties and his family's influence peddling scheme. I thought he was going to say southern border. This was a lie. President Joe Biden claimed his family didn't receive money from China. This was a lie. President Joe Biden claimed he never spoke to his son, Hunter Biden, about the Biden's family's shady business dealings. This was a lie. Now, Hunter Biden's legal team and the White House's media allies claim Hunter's corporate entities never made payments directly to Joe Biden. We can officially add this latest talking point to the list of lies. Today, the House Oversight Committee is releasing subpoenaed bank records that show Hunter Biden's business entity, a Wasco PC, made direct monthly payments to Joe Biden. This wasn't a payment from Hunter Biden's personal account, but an account for his corporation that received payments from China and other shady corners of the world. Wasn't that George Costanza's pin number? (laughs) Hunter Biden is under an investigation by the Department of Justice for using a Wasco PC for tax evasion and other serious crimes. Wasco. And based on whistleblower testimony, we know the Justice Department made a concerted effort to prevent investigators from asking questions about Joe Biden. Still not happy with uh, Representative Comer either for voting for George Santos' expulsion from Congress before he was allowed due process. Kind of weird to see the House Oversight Chair and, and one of the weaponization members, also someone who's sitting on the impeachment inquiry investigation as well, to not allow that. I saw on Ben Klein's ex count yesterday. Stemming from that announcement, uncovered bank statements show multiple direct payments to Joe Biden from Hunter's entity, Owasco PC. Owasco. Which took millions in from China. And then Representative Klein went on to comment, so much for I have no knowledge of my son's overseas business dealings. Yeah, that comment is not aging very well at all. You know, they showed a couple videos of it over the last few days where he said it with a mask on, and it still doesn't make up for the fact that he said it anyway. Yeah. Guys, I want to remind everybody, wherever you're listening to the show today, social media platforms, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram, find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow them. But more importantly, wherever you're listening, podcast platforms, Apple and Spotify, Google and iHeartRadio, find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow us, hit the notification bell, make sure it's downloading on your electronic device. Former Democrat consultant, major commentator now, appeared on Bill Maher's show, one of Noah's Favorites when he has good guests on. Yeah. James Carville. I just like that he's pissing off the people that are on his team also. The Raging Cajun. Ooh. We're going to have Newsweek's Josh Hammer in here in just a second as well. Had some 
insight onto what he saw the Republican House moving forward would be working on, the narrative that they've picked up, the job that Speaker Johnson has done, and as most Democrats do, completely demonized it, calling them radical Christian conservatives. Let's hear it. uh, Mike Johnson, he's from your home state of Louisiana, the Speaker of the House. I read today he wrote a foreword in a book that describes to conspiracy theories and homophobic insults. I thought, Mike Mike Johnson wrote the foreword to the Bible? Uh, (laughs) Wow. Do you think Mike Johnson can hold his party together now that he has taken the mantle? Well, first of all, I don't think he can hold his party together. Second of all, you're exactly right. Mike Johnson and what he believes is one of the greatest threats we have today to the United States. When I, I, I promise you, I know these people. Well, you're talking about Christian nationalism. That's right? Absolutely. Talking about this, is, this is a, right. this is a, a bigger <clears throat> threat than al-Qaeda uh, to this country. What? They, Mike Johnson's they, such a nice guy. They speak of the House. They got probably at least two Supreme Court justices, maybe more. Right? Don't kid yourself. And, and people in the press have no idea who this guy is, how he was formed, what the threat is. And this is a fundamental threat to the United States. It is a fundamental. They don't believe in the Constitution. They'll tell you that. What? Mike Johnson himself says, what is democracy but, but two wolves and a lamb having lunch? That's what they really, really, really believe. And to say, oh, come on, man, that's just some crazy shit. No, no. They, they believe that, and they're coming, and they've been doing it forever. They're funded. They're funded. They're yeah. relentless. And, you know, they probably won't win for a while, but they might. No, and if just they do, you, it's, you blow, the whole country blows the gas. You just have- oh. <laughs> Listen, here's the thing. Wow. I know people within the America First movement have been hypercritical of Mike Johnson. We have, with still extending him the time to get through this CR and at least have the opportunity to live up to the promises that he made. One of the big ones was, you know, releasing the January 6th tapes. Apparently, the next tranche of tapes are getting ready to come out. And Speaker Johnson announced today that in some instances, there's going to be faces blurred out. On these January 6th tapes. A lot of make spot the Fed easier. It's either that or he says he doesn't want people who haven't been ensnared by the FBI yet or involved as part of investigations to. Is that really a valid thing? Wouldn't the FBI already have access to these and done all the facial recognition already? Isn't that how they're they're scooping up all these people? I don't know. And Cell I'm... phone pings and facial recognition and plane tickets and taxi cab receipts, everything. No, I agree with you, and I'm not a fan of it. And, you know, one of the things is when it's time to be hypercritical of somebody, you got to do it. When it's not, you have to be able to let the guy do his job, uh, beating him up on social media because they won't come on your podcast. And listen, I took screenshots of some of these posts and I sent them to congressmen and women who come on our show. And I said, this is help or hurt. I would say an overwhelming majority of the narrative was fucking stupid. Or now, you know why I don't go on X, Y, and Z's programs, etc. So last audio clip before we jump in with Newsweek's Josh Hammer right now, I saw Varney was on with Charlie Heard yesterday on Fox news. They were kind of talking about, you know, Joe Biden and the radical left has they've claimed to become the defenders of democracy. But I think we all know and we'll hear it a little bit when we touch on Donald Trump's Cedar Rapids speaking event from over the weekend. Joe Biden has pretty much become the destroyer of American democracy. Let's hear it. 
Trump says President Biden is a threat to democracy. Watch this. He's been weaponizing government against his political opponents like a third world communist tyrant. Biden and his radical left allies like to pose as defenders of democracy. But Joe Biden is not the defender of American democracy. Joe Biden is the destroyer of American democracy. And it's it's him and his people. They're the wreckers of the American dream. The American dream is dead with them in office. Are you wrecking America if you, you, you destabilize the American dream? Is that destroying democracy? Well, it's funny because I was gonna, what I was going to actually say here is the fact that, you know, obviously Joe Biden is, attack, is weaponizing DOJ, and that's an important thing. Uh, but to me, the biggest attack on, on democracy is the attack on energy independence. And so if you do go after American prosperity, you're going to lose the greatest force for freedom and democracy in, on the planet. And that's what this administration has done by making America economically weak. And this goes not just the attack on American energy independence, but also on the things like the border. If you, when you, anything you do to weaken America weakens democracy around the world. And, and I think that that's an extension of uh, you know, what we see in the Middle East right now is an extension of that. Okay. By the way, Sean Hannity is hosting a town hall with Donald Trump tomorrow night. Will be exciting. Fascinating, ain't yes, it? Yes, it will be. On Fox, by the way. Yes, indeed. Pretty interesting to hear that no one on Fox News is taking pot shots at Donald Trump right now because they know he's going on Boomer Sweat's Sean Hannity show tonight, which is Tuesday here on the West Coast. But, you know, we, we, we'll even hear a, a funnier clip where, where, where they're, they're using such kid gloves with Donald Trump when Ron DeSantis appeared on the Botox Queen, Laura Ingram show last night and pushed her hard on some negative rhetoric regarding Donald Trump. And she just kind of like pivoted 90 degrees and took it in a different direction. So, you know, that's kind of the, the latest and greatest of what's going on up on Capitol Hill for as much as people are getting impatient with the job of House Republicans as they continue to navigate their now even slimmer majority in the House with the, you know, saying farewell to Congressman George Santos. It looks like they are starting to reprioritize their agenda with getting the appropriations bills done, moving on with the investigation into Joe Biden, moving forward with the impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas, and letting Joe Biden know if the border is not shut down, by the end of the continuing resolution, the government will be shut down and it'll be his fault. So we're obviously going to be continuing to track this as we do every week and, and on every edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast here. We're about ready to jump in with Newsweek's Josh Hammer. But before we do that, let's check in with one of our partners. It's an unpleasant truth that 42% of Americans are obese and 79% of Americans are overweight. That's practically one in every two Americans living day to day with every minute counting down to the end of an unhealthy existence. It's time to change that and make Americans healthy again. You've probably heard about weight loss injections that can help you get back into that right mindset and help curb those cravings so you can focus on what's really important. New Hope Wellness has changed thousands of lives and maybe it can change yours too. They are American family owned and operated with the goal of saving lives. With convenient telehealth options, you can speak to a licensed professional from the comfort of your own home, and all products are delivered discreetly to your front door. Visit newhopewellness.com forward slash state and start your journey to a better you. That's newhopewellness.com forward slash state to get your free consultation and 100 bucks off your first order. 1-800-527-2150. Make America healthy again. All right, joining us next on the show today, he is the senior editor-at-large at Newsweek, a syndicated host 
that bears his name, the Josh Hammer Show. Mr. Josh Hammer, welcome back to the show. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, you've had a pretty busy day. It's been a pretty busy day up on Capitol Hill as well. I listened to your latest podcast. I believe it came out yesterday. Uh, you talked about some of the stuff going on with Speaker Johnson and the uh, Republican House agenda. I think if there was, you know, coming from the fallout of the motion to vacate and, and the way Mike Johnson was able to obtain the Speaker gavel, you know, the dust settled. There was a little bit of chaos now, but it seems like, at least to me, the Republicans are trying to start to reprioritize their agenda moving forward and into the holiday season. I know there's a part of the CR that ex you know, expires right after New Year's and then another one the first week of February. But, you know, when it's when you're talking about working through appropriations and then it seems like as early as yesterday, Speaker Johnson wanted to let Joe Biden know if they can't get HR2 passed, they're most likely going to try and shut the government down uh, from the Republican House side, uh, you know, because they're talking about the foreign aid that they want for Ukraine and stuff like that. And it seems like Mike Johnson's going to be a no on that. And then getting back to committee work, which we saw, you know, heap and helping of today up on Capitol Hill, there was some Biden inquiry, there was um, stuff going on in regards to uh, the anti Semitism going on at, at, at major universities like Harvard. How do you see the speaker now that he's had a couple weeks to kind of get his footing and, and reprioritize the agenda that he's, you know, finally starting to get back to work for the American people? Well, I mean, the deal that Mike Johnson recently reached is is not particularly different than a deal that Kevin McCarthy would have reached. Right. And, you know, when it comes to Ukraine, Mike Johnson was skeptical, at least rhetorically, and in some votes on further Ukraine aid earlier this year, he seems like he's changed his tune a little bit, at least since assuming that the speaker's chair there. So I'm not entirely sure where he stands on that. Look, I, I happen to like Mike Johnson personally. I think he's very well spoken. I think that he is a a, a man of deep religious faith. And um, even even though I'm Jewish or perhaps because I'm Jewish, actually, I genuinely admire um, religious Christians like himself who make their faith a central part of their political identity. So I happen to like all that a lot about him. I, I think it's a little too early to tell what his priorities are. I mean, we'll learn a lot more, I think, uh, after the holiday season in the first few months of 2024. But kind of the unsolicited advice that I gave him on the latest episode of, of my show that you mentioned there was I basically said, look, the House Republican Caucus, you have a single digit majority. You are in the minority in the Senate. You're probably going to retake the Senate next year. Now, Republicans never fail to miss an easy opportunity. They never fail to get on the one yard line and fail to punch it into the end zone. So never take it for granted. But it's a very favorable map. But as of right now, regardless, they barely, barely control one chamber. And one of my issues about these past few rounds of fights, whether it was the fiscal fight in June, then it was the next one in September, Republicans just don't have their priorities in order. They're talking a little bit about Ukraine. They're talking a little bit about the border. They're talking a little bit about just cutting supplemental spending, just trimming what Russ Vote, I think, uh, aptly and accurately calls the woke and weaponized bureaucracy. Yep. But the point that I made in my podcast is, guys, like you have a single digit majority. Like pick one issue, like like pick one issue and just make that your issue. You you literally do not have the numbers. You do not have the political capital to do more than that, especially as we get into a presidential re-election year, make it an issue that, the, that persuadables, independent swing state voters, suburban mothers and so forth, maybe some black Hispanic voters there sure. in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas, of course, 
And to me, that's obviously the border issue. That has to be the immigration issues. That's kind of what I talked about in the podcast there. And I hope to see more of that from Mike Johnson, ideally here in December, but at the latest in the early month of 2024. Do you think setting up a showdown and letting Chuck Schumer know that, you know, I mean, he specifically said that thing was passed nearly six months ago now. It's been sitting and collecting dust on his desk as as like the do-all opening up the doors to some of the funding that they want moving forward and and keeping the government open past the, uh, you know, finalization and ending of the CR in in the early stages of February. Do you think that's a good hill for Mike Johnson to die on to basically go out there and say, listen, I know the American people are hurting in so many different ways. We are focusing in on the border security right now. We think it affects everything negatively that's going on in this country, whether it's like the fentanyl, the crime, the economy, the value of the dollar, and and all that stuff, and then saying this is the hill we're willing to die on, and if the government shuts down because they won't push for border security, this is going to fall on the shoulders of Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer? I I think that is a hill worth dying on if you do it correctly, and you have to actually do it correctly, and what that means is you have to essentially task all the various committees with jurisdiction over these things to focus on that issue. Why don't you call witnesses who can talk about fentanyl overdoses and tie that to the cartels in Mexico? Why don't you have hearings talking about how ranchers in in the Sonoran Desert in Arizona or all on the Rio Grande in Texas are suffering at the hands of this wide open border that, that the cartels have operational control over large swaths of? And for that matter, another thing that I mentioned in my podcast, you know, I mean, let's be honest here. This this impeachment inquiry that that James Comer has launched against Joe Biden is it's not going anywhere. I mean, the votes are not there. I, I do this for a living. I honestly couldn't even tell you what the current status of that impeachment inquiry is. What I have said from the get-go is, why don't you draft articles of impeachment against Alejandro Mayorkas instead? I mean, back in Newsweek, I work in Newsweek, but back when I was writing the op-ed section there, we published an op-ed from Andy Biggs of Arizona making that case back in like February or March. I think that would have been a much better use of political capital. And as of now, I'm not necessarily saying that now that you've gone down the road to Biden, that you should withdraw this impeachment inquiry. But if you can, at a bare minimum, now file supplemental articles of impeachment against Alejandro Mayorkas as well and tie it into this all of the above strategy there. Look, I think it is a winning issue for Republicans. Joe Biden's approval rating when it comes to immigration is roughly 20 points underwater there. We know that swing state voters in all the states that matter, Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, we know that they do not approve of this administration's handling of immigration. So I think that it is a worthy hill to die on. But again, that requires a top-down strategy and operationalizing all parts of it. And it means that you have to stay mission-focused and not lose sight of that, even if that entails talking about other issues that do matter, whether it's Ukraine, uh, your top-level fiscal spending, or things like that. Yeah, no, I mean, it makes... Total sense, and and it seems like a no-brainer. It's just that, you know, so many different people up on Capitol Hill, all those different personalities, especially within the committees that are working under Speaker Johnson right now, are kind of figuring out what they can do for their constituents and what they think is might be more important to the American people. But we do have to narrow these issues down. We have to pick at least one, if not a few, to really focus on. And then it's the only way that they're going to have any kind of a successful resume heading into next year's election cycle, which I'm sure, Josh, you could probably – allude to a little bit how important it is like right now with the state of the nation and everything that's going on with Joe Biden uh, is probably the most important election in modern history. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, I I feel like every election we say that, but I mean, that's probably because the further and further we get away from what made this country great, the further we go down this rabbit hole of, of, of wokeism and this cold roiling civil war between the left and the right, we, I, I, you know, every election just increasingly does matter more. That's kind of just the empirical, observable reality of it. So 
this election matters a lot. I mean, I, I genuinely fear what this country and for that matter, what the world will look like in 2028 if this administration is given another four years. It's kind of ironic. If, if you look at what the Democrats and the Biden campaign, to the extent that there is a campaign, if you look at what they're messaging and what they're talking about, they were going very hard for a little while out of the gate on Bidenomics. They had this national <laughs> ad campaign back in early September during the season opener NFL game on a Thursday night. They've backed away hard from Bidenomics. In fact, I think I read that they haven't even used the term in the, like four weeks or something like that. They're now talking about they're starting to tease how the Republicans are the party of chaos and how it's all drama. It's all January 6th. It's all insurrection. It's all this. It's all that. That's not going to work. That's not going to work for the very simple reason that the median American is not going to buy it because the median American has experienced over the past two and a half, three years, how we've reached the highest inflation in 40 years since the Jimmy Carter era, how we formally entered a recession, which was defined historically as back to back quarters of negative GDP growth until Corrine Jean-Pierre and the rest of the White House tried to redefine it for us in real time there that, you know, the median American has experienced, has has seen the news, has seen Russia invading Ukraine, China probably about to invade Taiwan, everything happening in the Middle East. We see chaos all around us, both domestically and on the world stage. So that's not going to work. So, yes, I think that, that this this election is crucially important to say nothing of the Supreme Court, which is obviously an issue that I talk and write a lot about as a lawyer myself. Sure. We're probably going to see the imminent retirements of Clarence Thomas and Sam Alito, who are both getting up there. So for, for all of these reasons and then some, this election obviously matters a great, great deal next year. No, and then when you talk about the messaging out of the Biden campaign or lack thereof, it, it continues to get weirder and, and sadder as the weeks go on. And, you know, one of the biggest things recently, we're deep in the throngs of the holiday season here, Josh. We're just a few days out uh, at the start of Hanukkah. And, you know, you see for the first time in, in, in at least my memory, a lot of the Hanukkah celebrations at the state level and, and in some cases federal getting canceled across the country due to pressure from, you know, a lot of the radical groups who have spoken out since Hamas attacked Israel in such a barbaric way back on October 7th. You know, growing up in this country and as someone who's a Christian, Hanukkah was always something that went hand in hand with all of the holidays throughout the, the season. And to see the way that the country right now is backing down under the pressure of immense anti-Semitism stemming all the way from the top up on, on, on Capitol Hill. I mean, I'm sure you saw uh, Elon Omar and, and Rashida Tlaib had had their chances this past weekend. It was uh, Representative Jay Powell's turn to go out there and just, you know, talk about some of the most disgusting things like uh, saying that rape is a, is a modern weapon uh, of uh, actual warfare. And, and then when you see the start of, of what could be potentially a, a snowball rolling down the hill that we're not going to be able to stop canceling things like Hanukkah across the country in America for public display and events and stuff like that. How do we move ourselves back from this cliff at this point? Great question. I I, I wish I knew how to answer it. I mean, I, look, I, I continue to be just totally I don't know what the word is. I, to I continue to be just totally stunned by what by what I see out there, whether it is Claudine Gay, the president of Harvard University, correct? you know, refusing to say that calling for intifada, you know, refusing to say that that is condemnable speech that that should not be protected to the limit of the law on Harvard University campuses, whether it is Congresswoman Jayapal talking about how the barbaric, barbaric mass rape and pillaging of Israeli women demands further, quote unquote, context. Uh, this is a woman, by the way, who was all over hashtag believe all women during the trials and tribulations of then Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh back when Christine Blasey Ford and others were accusing him of serial gang rape. 
I mean, these are just vile credence. These are these are vile, vile scumbags. And unfortunately, you're never going to eradicate anti-Semitism. It is it is quite literally the oldest form of bigotry that humanity has, has ever had. And it's never going to go away. It is always going to be with us. The best that we can do is to try to to quell it and to contain the excesses of it. And that is really relevant to the holiday of Hanukkah. I'm happy you, you mentioned it. So I'm going to be at the Heritage Foundation in two days doing this event with my good friend Carol Markowitz and I think one other person from Heritage Foundation talking about Jewish gun ownership and self-defense, which is a topic that I am very passionate about. I'm a concealed carrier myself. I, I, I own an awesome Daniel Defense M4 rifle that I like to call my Warsaw Ghetto gun <laughs> um, because that because that's the gun that the Jews of the Warsaw Ghetto probably would have should have had, I should say, against the Nazis. And in any event, this is all relevant to the holiday of Hanukkah because the story of Hanukkah, which is often mistold and misunderstood, you have all these liberal idiots who talk about how Hanukkah means universal freedom and aspirations for justice. No, the message of Hanukkah is literally the, the opposite of universalism. It is about Jewish particularism and, frankly, Jewish nationalism. And in the Hanukkah story, there was a gruesome, bloody civil war among the Jews. And those who won the Maccabees were those who were trying to, to keep steadfast. They were trying to keep faithful to Jewish custom. They were fighting the Hellenized Jews, those who wanted to assimilate into the Hellenistic empire there. So the lesson of Hanukkah is to be defiant, to be public-facing Jews, to not shy away from our identity. Because at, at the end of the day, anti-Semitism will never, ever go away. But that the least we can do, that the very least we can do, we can show them that we are not going away, that we are proud of what we stand for, and that we will never back down without a fight. And, you know, for purposes of this heritage event, of course, that might and probably does and probably should include gun ownership as well. No, I think it's awesome that you're you know not only going out there and commentating on it, whether it be through your writings or on your amazing podcast, Josh, but the fact of the matter is is that you're going out there and promoting these events, teaching awareness, teaching advocacy for you know some of the plausible solutions that at some point uh, you know people talk about home defense and safety. It, it, it may be coming to that point. I mean, you see these huge events happening all across the country, tens if not hundreds of thousands of people at a time that are marching in units and talking about hate. And when those things start spilling over into you know uh, neighborhoods across the country, who knows what could happen? We we all obviously don't ever, you know, propriate or, or hope for violence. But at this point right now, you've got monuments being desecrated. You've got flags of Israel in the United States getting ripped down in, in some of the, the major cities across the country and stepped on and burned and ripped apart. It's it's like something I haven't seen at a hatred level uh, probably for the entirety of my adult life. If the entire time I've been alive and, you know, I'm really glad for someone that, you know, just wears who you are on your sleeve and, and, and puts it in, in such a elegant way all the time. You know, you go out there and you really do crush the narrative with it. So we're obviously going to be live linking everything you've got going on in the show description today, your page over at Newsweek, the podcast you're on. You're on so many other podcasts as well and contributors everywhere else. It, it, it would fill up just about the whole show description. But for anyone that wants to follow you on social media, where can they check you out? Yeah, thanks as always. Always a pleasure to join this show. So I'm on Twitter, X, whatever we're calling it these days, at Josh underscore Hammer. My weekly syndicated column goes up at Newsweek, which is where I work, and a bunch of other conservative publications, American Greatness, Epic Times, Daily Signal, Town Hall, you name it. Um, and then my show, The Josh Hammer Show, is wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, iHeart, or elsewhere. But always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. No, the pleasure is equally ours. Every time this guy's on the show here, he's the senior editor-at-large at Newsweek, syndicated host of The Josh Hammer Show. Mr. Josh Hammer, thanks for joining us today. Have a fantastic Hanukkah, my friend. Thanks so much. And Merry Christmas to you guys as well. The Iowa caucus is now six weeks away. Former President mm -hmm. Trump and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis campaigned in the Hawkeye State over the weekend. Uh, your thoughts on this race right now? I mean, uh, what do you attribute Trump's incredible success? He's far and away the leading candidate so far. 
Yes, he's got a great base across the state of Iowa. And, you know, he worked so hard in his administration to make sure that uh, every American had access to our great ethanol products at the pump. And that really excites our Iowa farmers. Um, so he does have a good, good draw in the state of Iowa. All right, jumping back into the news portion of our show here. Always great catching up with Newsweek's Josh Hammer. That was Iowa Senator Joni Erst, who many thought might be looking to endorse Florida Governor Ron DeSantis in his soon-to-be-concluded quest in the 2024 presidential primary, making a case for the 45th president as he's shown to be getting stronger in the Hawkeye State. So we're going to be taking a look at the Trump rally. They mentioned it during the segment right there on Mornings with Maria. Yesterday, Donald Trump was in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, on Saturday, doing a huge rally there, packed house as always, Messaging was on point. We're going to jump right into this. Donald Trump talking about how Joe Biden has crushed the American dream and what he plans to do on day one of his presidency starting in 2025. Let's check it out. Biden has crushed the American dream. We will revive the American dream and we will bring it back bigger, better, stronger than ever before. And we're going to bring it back fast. We're bring it back fast going to happen very quickly. We're going to drill. You know that. We're going to drill, baby, drill, drill. We're going to get your energy down. We're going to seal up those borders so tight, and we're going to have the largest deportation of very bad people. Very bad people. Shouldn't be in this country. Ever in our country's history. I will quickly end Joe Biden's inflation nightmare, rebuild the greatest economy on record, and I will not rest until your family can afford a beautiful home and a brand new beautiful car of your choice. Like that. Combustion, electric, any way you want it, you're going to have lots of choice, and that's the way it should be. I'm not- <laughs> you may know. It, it's funny to hear how the crowd is responding to a lot of the things and and you could tell based on just the coverage that we've provided here on steak for breakfast over the course of the last, I mean, it's going on to two months now. Donald Trump took a hard pivot after seeing these poll numbers, not to be in anyone's favor running against him in the Republican primary did a hard pivot towards Joe Biden in the general election. And that's where he's kind of stayed. I think it's led to his national strength. I think it's led to his, continuing popularity in the polls and i think it's one of the things that a lot of the other pretenders in the fake republican primary i'm talking about ron DeSantis and nikki haley just don't have as part of their arsenal right now they it's so hard to pivot and talk about joe biden and how bad things are in this country as a candidate when you have to go back and talk about you know chris christie hitting this guy vivek ramaswamy hitting that guy and then obviously nikki haley and ron DeSantis as the mainstream media is making them the last two viable candidates consequently we'll see i believe on december 9th they're having the next in the series of fake primary debates nikki haley ronda santis chris christie and vivek ramaswamy are the only ones who qualified for the debate stage so again doug burgum he paused his presidential candidacy this week has yet to endorse anyone hoping it's going to be donald trump on the back end but we'll have to see donald trump Made it a little bit biblical here, talking about the righteous crusade that the MAGA movement and his candidacy has been since he announced his quest to retake the White House back in last November. Let's check it out. 
president ever sent the FBI to raid the home of his opponent for crimes that he himself actually committed. He committed crimes. This campaign is a righteous crusade to liberate our republic from Biden and the criminals and the Biden administration. They're criminals. They're criminals that think they can do whatever they want, break any law, tell any lie, ruin any life, trash any norm and get away with anything they want. And, you know, he makes a great case. We'll hear a clip later in the show where the exact moment in time that Tucker Carlson realized that Donald Trump was going to be the eventual Republican nominee and more than likely should retake the White House next year. I I think that it's good to stay in this thread right now because Donald Trump doubled down uh, on, on the biblical references here, talking about places that he should win in elections based off of the fact of how bad the quality of life is across the country for most average Americans, especially in places like New York and California. He even went as far to take it as if the man himself, Jesus Christ, was a poll watcher and an election counter. Think I'm joking? Let's check it out. And like in 2016, we just ran the whole East Coast of the country and that made up for California, which I actually believe that if they didn't have rigged elections out there, if they didn't have all the paper about, you know, they send out like 36 million ballots yep. and nobody knows where the hell they're going to or coming from. I think a few people know where they're going to and a few people know where they're coming from. But I think if you had a real election and Jesus came down and God <laughs> came down and said, I'm going to be the scorekeeper here, I think it would win there. I think it would win in Illinois and I think it would win in New York, which is all places that in theory. I mean, who in New York, when you see what happened, hundreds of thousands of illegal immigrants pouring out all over Madison Avenue, Fifth Avenue. People are so angry. Even Democrat politicians now are going after Biden. The mayor is going after him. They're all going after him. But who would say that this is acceptable? I think you can win New York. I think you can win New Jersey. I think we can win Virginia. People that states that in theory wouldn't be with. But but I have a different theory. I think for years we could have won them. These elections are rigged. Our elections are totally rigged. And we got to do something about it. The Yes, we certainly do. I think it's funny. You know, when you just look at it, and in the case of a lot of these states, as we all know, obviously listeners to our show, all the new listeners who are coming in and and probably having the wool taken off their eyes as far as political commentary goes, these states that just have free-for-all voting laws, you know, uh, being out here in Southern California, as Noah and myself are, and and going into the voting centers and, and casting our ballots every two and four years and then in you know state elections and special elections that they have in between, it's so funny to hear the, the excuses of people at the, the, the check-in tables. You know, I, I walk at, into these ballot centers and I'll have my ID in my hand and I like walk up to the lady like I'm going to hand, and she's, oh, no, 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 like just motioning to me like I don't even need to show it. And then... While I'm there to, you know, give them my name and get a ballot, I hear people, uh, there's like this little old lady next to me. She's like, I had it and it was in my car. I just don't know where it is. And there was actually a guy in the, in the, in the last general election uh, back in 2020 who was standing right next to me. And he said he had had two ballots and lost them both. And he claimed to not have voted and, and they wound up giving him a new ballot. So, you know, it's one of those things where 
if, if you don't keep an eye on, on all the silly stuff that's going on and, and the way that President Trump kinds to jokingly frame it, if Jesus Christ came down and was a poll watcher in places like California, that might be the only way at this point that he wins the Golden State in the near future. But moving forward, and I think after Gavin Newsom kind of uh, relinquishes the governorship there to get into either this presidential cycle or the next one and the possibility of having a Republican who's going to come in and clean up the state moving forward after that. We'll just have to continue to track it as then. As I want to track some of the other stuff that's going on, most importantly, guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, hope you're enjoying it. Big Tuesday edition of the podcast, five great guests, the best commentary in the game. Uh, a lot of people are, are having all of these sales right now as we're heading into the holiday season. Uh, buy this, save on that, promo code here. Steak for breakfast will always be 100% free. We only ask you to do one thing, especially on Apple and Spotify. Follow the podcast. That means go to the podcast account on Apple or Spotify and hit the follow button so it's downloading to your electronic device. All that does is help us out. Helps us out in the algorithms, the podcast suggestions when you're looking for political ones on the podcasting platforms and in the Apple Top 100, which is where we make your voice heard the loudest. In addition, we have social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow us, and hit the notification bell so you always know what's going on. 2024 Iowa Republican Caucus poll that came out yesterday, AFP Action Poll. This is a pro Nikki Haley one. Trump 44%, Nikki Haley 17%, Ron DeSantis 16% of just those candidates. Looking right now, Trump leads the field in the GOP primary. DeSantis is the second choice, according to News Nation and the Decision Desk headquarters poll. Trump at 60%, DeSantis 11, Haley 10. So they're within the margin of error of each other. Ramaswamy 6, Chris Christie 3 out of just the candidates that are the best of the rest. Got a bunch of them here today. National poll, TIPP. This came out on Monday. Trump, 41% over Joe Biden, who's at 39. Other, not including any other candidates, 13% in a five-man race. Trump, 38. Biden, 33. RFK Jr., 11. West, 2. Stein, 2. And then the GOP presidential primary. Trump, 61%. Haley, 10. DeSantis, 9. Ramaswamy, 7. Christie, 1. Hutchinson, 1. I think the big thing that we're seeing right now as we continue to, to watch these polls is that Ron DeSantis is slipping to third place in most of them. Um, here's a poll that came out. Republicans who trust Trump first on the economy, 64%, Ron DeSantis, eight, Nikki Haley, 7.5. So they're within the margin of error of each other. Not so much as on foreign policy, Donald Trump, 61%, Nikki Haley, 13, and then Ron DeSantis in third at 8%. I think I got one more. And this came out today. This is a national poll from Harris X. Trump, 53%, Biden, 47. Amongst independents, Trump, 55, Joe Biden, 45. GOP presidential primary, Donald Trump 75, Ron DeSantis 25 against Nikki Haley, Donald Trump 79, Nikki Haley 21. So the poll numbers seem to not be changing as much in the direction as any of the other pretenders might want. Definitely moving a little bit the needle in Donald Trump's favor. Um, <laughs> you know, he put out a couple heaters on his true social account this weekend too. One that I thought was absolutely Fantastic was where he decided to hit Liz Cheney, who had been going around talking about saving democracy. And if you vote for Donald Trump, you're voting for the end of life as we know it. Here's from Sunday night on Truth Social. Crazy Liz Cheney, who suffers from Trump derangement syndrome at a level rarely seen before, writes in her boring new book that Kevin, spelled K-E-V-E-N, McCarthy said, 
He came to Mar-a-Lago after the rigged elections because the former president was depressed and not eating. That statement is not true. I was not depressed. I was angry. And it was not that I was not eating. It was that I was eating too much. But that's not why Kevin, again, K-E-V-E-N, McCarthy was there. He was at Mar-a-Lago to get my support and to bring the Republican Party together. Only good intentions. Liz Cheney, on the other hand, went on to lose her seat in Congress by the largest margin for a sitting congressperson in the history of the United States. She then worked with others on the sham January 6th committee to delete and destroy evidence of the findings of the committee. And that was one via his Truth Social account to Liz Cheney there after all of her appearances on the Sunday morning news circuit promoting her new book. One of the things that we heard in our first news segment, and that's the commentary that Stuart Varney and Charlie Hurd were talking over in regards to Donald Trump accusing Joe Biden of destroying democracy. I know they only played like a short portion of that clip, but I do want to play it in its entirety. Let's hear it. But crooked Joe Biden's banana republic ends on November 5th, 2024. It's a banana republic. Biden and his radical left allies like to pose as defenders of democracy. You see, he was standing up there not so long ago with the pink and red background. That looked a little bit sinister. I don't know if he knew what the hell he was doing up there, but he was up there spewing the words that somebody wrote for him. (laughs) But Joe Biden is not the defender of American democracy. Joe Biden is the destroyer of American democracy. And it's true. It's him and his people. They're the wreckers of the American dream. The American dream is dead with them in office. It's uh... it's the truth. And, uh, you know, something we'll continue to highlight as the president goes and itemizes his biggest talking points of Agenda 47. One of the ones that is getting a lot of attention, I think, is the whole discussion on AI. You know, you heard Alejandro Mayorkas on the show last week talking about how that's going to be one of the biggest focuses of the Department of Homeland Security moving into the next election cycle. That's going to be monitoring for and and trying to, to the best of their ability with no legislation in place, regulate AI, especially on social media platforms. And, you know, how it's being used to target free speech is one thing. Let's hear how President Trump weighed in on it as the other. Just this week, Biden's Homeland Security Secretary even admitted that they are weaponizing artificial intelligence to target American citizens for political speech. Did you hear that? He admitted it. Well, at least he was honest. When I'm reelected, I will cancel Biden's artificial intelligence executive order and ban the use of AI to censor the speech of American citizens on day one. More fire Trump AI generated memes inbound. That means it also means that Donald Trump would not be uh, held off too long before weighing in on that talking point from his true social account. He put out a post this morning following his speaking event in Iowa over the weekend and coming off the heels of Alejandro Mayorkas's commentary on it. Also decided to, uh, I guess, corral the Lincoln Project in on it as well. These perverts and losers at the failed and once disbanded Lincoln Projects and others are using AI, artificial intelligence, in their fake television commercials to make me look as bad and pathetic as Crooked Joe Biden. Not an easy thing to do. Fox News shouldn't run these ads. 
just as low ratings CNN and MSDNC will not under any circumstances and run negative ads on Joe Biden or the Democrats. They are, after all, in-kind campaign contributors to the Democrats, with an exclamation point at the end. Meaning, you know, you see a lot of these pictures. uh, A lot of them come where you don't even really have to use AI to make Joe Biden look worse, but it, it comes in contrast to the people who stretch out the face of Ron DeSantis, make him look sweatier, make his nose look snottier. And a lot of people from the DeSantis team feel the need to make Donald Trump look washed out in some of the pictures that they're posting online of him. And obviously shit like that bothers the president and he's going to hit back on them. Um, You know, I just want to touch before we hit our last clip, we're going to be jumping in with Chad Kadem for the first time. He was recently appointed as the man who's going to be running in its entirety the Veterans for Trump apparatus moving forward. And we couldn't have asked for a better patriot to be taking the reins. But we do have, as always here on Steak for Breakfast, and again, this was a strong policy-driven platform speech in Cedar Rapids, Iowa this weekend. You can't ask on the heel of such major events, Donald Trump attending the UFC event a few weeks ago. Obviously, he was at the South Carolina game on rivalry weekend last Saturday, uh, the Palmetto Bowl in South Carolina. He's going to be doing a couple major events in New Hampshire coming up here. We're going to have Caroline Levitt on the show, uh, I believe, next week to talk about and preview those with our listenership. But as always, we're going to be playing the closeout here of President Trump's speech. I have to admit, and it tugs at the heartstrings a little bit, Donald Trump has been getting a little emotional during the music-driven portion. I mean, we saw at the rally people, you know, when he's talking about the decline of America and and has how the America First movement might be the only savior of this, with Donald Trump, of course, leading that movement, people getting emotional uh, at the rallies, people that are really feeling it in, in, in the wallet, uh, in, in probably the employment sector. They see the stuff that's going on with their kids, the loss of our national security, uh, security on the streets of America here back home. And uh, let's close it out with President Trump as only he knows how to do at his rallies. Like those patriots before us, we will not bend, we will not break, we will not yield, we will never give in, we will never give up, and we will never, ever back down. With your support, we will go on to victory, the likes of which no one has ever seen before. We will evict crooked Joe Biden from the White House, and we will take back our country on Election Day 2024. The great silent majority is rising like never before, and under our leadership, the forgotten men and women will be forgotten no longer. We are one movement, one people, one family, and one glorious nation under God. And together we will make America powerful again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. Thank you very much, Iowa. God bless you. God bless you, Iowa. Thank you. God bless you.
All right. And as I said, you know, it, it's, it, it goes into the credibility of Donald Trump's campaign, the legitimacy of his rise to the top of the Republican primary, his ascension to, you know, essentially completing the nomination process before we even have one primary or caucus and just the strong policy driven platform that he displayed in Cedar Rapids, Iowa this weekend. So we're going to be continuing to track everything with the 45th president as we always do here on the show. I believe we're the only one in the country that actually does it still. We're going to be jumping in with Chad Kadem for the first time. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you need a promo code steak here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Tuesday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, he is the National Director of Operations. For Vets for Trump's really excited for this interview and sitting down with Chad Caton for the first time. Chad, welcome to the show. Hoorah, man. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Man, you have had a whirlwind of opportunities sweep you up and get you on the ground running over the course of the last week or so. We connected directly just about when it was happening in real time. I immediately invited you on the show. We've been looking to get together for quite some time now, but I think no better time is now. Our listenership's going to be really excited to hear everything that you've got going on. Can you please tell us, number one, how did this all happen? And number two, moving forward, what's going to be the mission for Vets for Trump? Quickly, uh, I, I started as a firefighter. I was a long, I was a Navy CB, became a firefighter, broke my neck, um, broke my back. And next thing I know, I have uh, a problem in my local county, being a right to work state, fired me. And uh, on Christmas Eve, because I couldn't get back to work quick enough um, from breaking my neck on the job, um, I looked at my county chairman, asked him for more time. He said, tough. And from that point forward, I said, remember my name, remember my face. And I came after him and took him out, not once, but twice. And he was removed as our county chairman here in Ori County, South Carolina, and which is the most powerful county in the state. From there, we, we got involved in the flooding. We got involved in legislation. We got, I helped write the two-way ordinance of South Carolina, and Ori County was the fourth in the, in the country. And then my wife showed me to go live on uh, Facebook. And from there, we've, we've been on three networks and we were on the radio, got fired for being uh, at January 6th and uh, have been canceled so many times. And my last network, I was fired for Mean Tweets, which a network that is no longer with us anymore. Um, not necessarily because of me, but just because. And now here I am as the National Operations uh, Director for Veterans for Trump and looking to build a veteran coalition across the United States to ensure Donald J. Trump gets back in that White House. Now, here's the thing. Before we get into Veterans for Trump, which is it, it's absolutely huge that you're leading this movement right now. You ran like a, a, a state level coup of the South Carolina GOP and essentially took that. You know, so many people ask, how do I get involved? How do I help change things moving forward, whether it be pressuring the local legislation to promote America first values or to, you know, better our election process? You actually went out there and got on the ground, did some work and we're making some big strides there as well. 
Yeah, man, we um, here in O'Ree County, we realized where are these where is this uniparty and these shills coming from, man? They're not representing us. And so we got we you know, I say it all the time when I do other when I do my shows, you know, learn the game, play it better, kick their butt. And that's what we're trying to do. And we got involved in the local GOP and I went into the meetings, sat there in O'Ree County, never had uh, any kind of uh, uh, quorum in order for the meetings to happen. I realized that I was the youngest person there by 40 years i was just like there's no way in hell that they're actually putting representation up that is going to represent me and from that point forward we started to see how they were laundering money how it was the funnel uh for the most powerful county in the state and then we said we need to take this back in conjunction with other leaders across the state one of which uh, was uh, the main leader in presley studs who died of covid um he taught us all how to get involved understand uh robert's rules understand understand how precinct reorganization works and um, we got involved and we took over quite a few counties we did, we've it's taken a while to get people to realize that the establishment and that of Lindsey Graham are a joke and we've 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 had to go the hard way you know uh, no we've had no resources none of that but we found that with numbers we win and that's what we have done is try to educate, motivate and activate as many people as possible to get the job done. And now we're finding not just South Carolina, but many states are having their internal civil war with their GOP. And as you can tell from the RNC, <laughs> it's about time it happened. No, you know, that's the thing. I, I, I like that equation you got going on there. But at the same time, it's like you kind of lay it out there for how people who want to get involved might be reluctant. Listen, you keep seeing these people on TV. You keep seeing bad things get passed in your state. You need to get up and, and actually physically do the groundwork. Now, when you talk about numbers, you're the uh, national director of operations for Veterans for Trump. You've got a whole lot more numbers at your disposal. Let's hear uh, just about how you've attacked this and hit the ground running and what moving forward you plan to do for this awesome organization that's supporting Donald Trump in his quest to retake the White House next November. It's a great question. And, and our main basis behind all of that is that we are just that. So we've decided to get the veterans and, and understand exactly where they're coming from and put them as leaders back into our political lexicon, not out there with a gun, not out there trying to bring violence, but bringing that leadership to educate people in your community and bring them together. Numbers win. And with all of the veterans that are out there that, that people respect and understand uh, who they are, what they're about, who better to trust than your firefighters and your, and your uh, police and veterans. And that's where we're at with it. We wanna use those veterans to once again, stand up and stand for the country and and go out and motivate their community, build an army, and make sure that we are out there in the political lexicon on the local level, the House level, the Senate level, and the presidency to ensure Donald J. Trump back in that White House. Now, when you talk about the, the veterans, they are part of the forgotten class of society here in America. It's it's a very unfortunate thing, but we've seen just as recently veterans removed from, you know, homes where they live in that are under government state of uh, assistance to have illegal migrants who are overflowing a lot of these Democrat-ran states and cities to, to live there. Instead, you've seen, you know, veterans even kicked out of places where they're receiving, like, long-term medical care so that illegals can be taken care of as well. As, as, as a, you know, we focus and, and, and shift towards the general election next year, even before the first primary starts, because as far as we're concerned here on Steak for Breakfast, that thing is over for Donald Trump. He's going to be the nominee, no doubt about it. How important is it to, you know, reinvigorate and re-energize the, the veteran class of people out there, part of the forgotten class of American society, to get involved? Because on the other end of the ballot box next November, there is a person who cares about veterans more than probably any politician in modern history, and that's Donald Trump. 
You're absolutely right. And who better for us to reinvigorate the, the veteran class, if you will. Um, we're forgotten until it's time to, to run for office. And it's, Trump has never forgotten the veterans. He has always respected the patriotism that this country was built on, the very fabric that we as veterans have, have stood and raised our hand to defend. And who better to get behind, not as a syncophant, not as him as a king, but as somebody that we are in turbulent times right now in our country and the planet. And there's nobody that's been proven better to be a better commander in chief over the last 20 years than Donald J. Trump. And that is pretty systemic throughout all ranks in our veterans. Uh, some of the Democrat veterans out there, they were probably supply anyway, so it doesn't matter. They're not too, they, 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 they don't know what it is to actually stand for something. And that's what we are trying to do and to have a Donald Trump. But we're also looking at our down ballots. We're looking at our state ballots. I'm having my presidents in the states look and make sure they understand what's going on in their state legislature. I am just like General Flynn, who's one of my mentors. And, you know, national uh, or local impact ha or local action has national impact. It's a huge statement because it's absolutely true. If you ever want to know why there's a crazy person up in D.C., go to their local GOP. It's probably a mirror image of who they are. And there's nothing better than doing than sitting in that GOP and saying, we need to do some work here. And that's where we're bringing these veterans together. It's time that we finally get off of the internet, if you will, and actually put some boots on the ground and show our government they need to fear us instead of us fearing them. And that's what this is all about. No, I think that's the most important thing there. And I think the most important thing that our listenership is probably, you know, uh, really interested in hearing about now. It's the last point I want to make with you, Chad, is how can these people get involved? Not only veterans, but anybody else who else out there across the country who's listening to Steak for Breakfast wants to support you, support the organization, and in turn support President Trump moving forward. We'll take anybody. We want veterans. We are building an auxiliary uh, link, but we're just going to take them all and we'll work through it um, because we asked for your rank. If you weren't in the military, don't worry about it. Become part of this movement. Who better than to change this country than those that have stood honorably and, and served this country? And go to veteransfortrump.us, veteransfortrump.us, and, and hit join at the top. Fill that out. Send it to us. We're not going to blow you up with wind red. We're not going to uh, send you a bunch of text messages. This is for us to be able to go into every state behind Donald Trump and say, here are some people that want to stand with you, Mr. President. And that's what it's all about. We'll take everybody. Go there, fill it out at veteransfortrump.us and hit join and fill that out. It comes directly to me and my, my staff and uh, we will put you in the subsequent state and do what we can to build this legitimate army and go out there and bring this thing home for Donald Trump. It's about time some people start standing with him and yep. we want to. And nobody could be better in Santa with him right now than you, Chad. We're obviously going to be live linking the organization in the show description today. But for anyone that wants to follow you on social media, possibly reach out in that context as well. Where can they find you? Um, having been a former heavily having a show, it's I'm fired up everywhere. Um, basically, mine. The, if you really want to talk to me, I, I do have people that in my other socials that monitor uh, uh, and and send me things. But please hit me up on any of them. Um, but the main one is Twitter because uh, Elon's letting us play nice. So please hit me up on Twitter. You'll find me in Spaces there. I love Spaces. I see you there, guys, are there all the time. Yep. Um, I'm always out there uh, trying to motivate people and smack some people down sometimes. It's okay to get uh get heated but go to i'm fired up too on twitter x whatever you're calling it i'm fired up too and you can find i'm fired up on facebook is where we all started you can see all of our original videos and then getter cloud hub uh telegram we're all i'm fired up 
This man's literally been doing the Lord's work. Now he's doing it as the head of Veterans for Trump. Going to be uh, sitting down with him many times, I believe, between now and next November. Mr. Chad Kadem, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Take care. But the Constitution says nothing about a convicted felon if it comes to that, because he's got 97 some odd chances to dodge that, but one of them might stick. Then what? What no. the constitutionalist and you say? It doesn't say anything about somebody. You know, Adams and Jefferson were relying upon um, the smartness of the American people, not well, to elect them. them when they were there. <laughs> I remember your your right. coverage was really, really Thank good, you very much. especially that eighteen hundred race. <laughs> yeah, and you, the powdered you, wig. I you had called it, Neil. Well, what do you make of that? That 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 it, that is a. a that's that's a possibility. How about this? He's going to go on trial the day before Super Tuesday. I believe he's going to be convicted in that January 6th trial in Washington, D.C., predominantly because Mark Meadows, as you know, right. has signed an agreement. Former chief of staff. His former chief of staff, former one of the founders of the Freedom Caucus, is going to testify against him. Um, he's going to be convicted. Imagine this. If he's our nominee, he won't be able to vote for himself. But he can be president. Yes. Uh, Look. And, 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 and this is when I talk to other politicos that they're, they're not steeped in the battle like you are but they say look if he if he hasn't been dinged by all of these you know uh, indictments a conviction isn't going to make a difference you i think, think it, it might i think a conviction is different for two reasons one because it won't be a, a a liberal prosecutor talking about him anymore it'll be his former chief of staff saying he mark meadows committed crimes because you wouldn't need immunity if you hadn't committed crimes and that Donald Trump committed crimes on his watch. That's very different for conservative voters to hear that from Mark Meadows than to hear from Jack Smith. Secondly, this is a jury of your peers convicting you. Not, again, the two-tiered system of justice that a lot of people are concerned about. I think it will be very different. The question is going to be, is there going to be somebody who's willing to stand up to him until that moment so that it's not decided? And that's why I said recently, I'm in this through the convention. And I'm in it through but the his supporters. Oh, God. <laughs> he just, did he just admit to a two-tiered system of justice? He'll be the last man standing, wow. apparently. <laughs> While the last man waddling, at the very least. Mm. You know, no, I know you saw that huge explosion that happened in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. last night. The house, I mean, there was a guy who apparently he... Had too much Taco Bell? Well, he let all the gas appliances in his house go off and then you, you could hear it beforehand but see it after the explosion wanted to play rapid fire with a couple flare guns mm. that didn't work out too well for him but I, I of course posted the video and said chris christie went a little too hard at golden corrals all you mm. can eat spicy wing night nice which uh got just as much interest as anybody that was actually posting uh about you know another person that was again probably on the fbi's radar mm. but, yeah, yeah we're they, they never we're, decided to move on we were just about to do it. We were, we were going to do it tomorrow. Say the line, Simpsons meme. Yeah. But, you know, we're going to continue to check in because this is a, a continuing in what apparently is becoming a series on this show, and it's the negative rhetoric from both sides. Obviously, that's Chris Christie, who's, I'm air quoting now, a Republican, and Neil Cavuto, who's an empty suit that works for a conservative outlet, again, air quoting, Fox News. Mm. So they, they allow him to have that platform and speak for nearly two minutes on how Chris Christie's only remaining in the race and is uh, threatening to do so all the way up through the GOP convention only because he thinks Donald Trump's going to go to jail. And at that point, it becomes a Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy shit show. And he wants to be a part of it. He wants to me to meet in between all that bread. He doesn't want to be the potatoes? No. 
<laughs> he's too he's too big to be the potatoes. That'd be uh, one of those you know the farmers where they have the record in, <laughs> at the Iowa Fair and they bring gold or a gold medal heifer. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what he is. You know, and and I saw this. It was ramping up, and it has been since before Thanksgiving. And, and what happens is, is that this goes back to what we started our show on. When Mike Johnson obtained the speaker gavel, it was easy to to just not even cover anything going on on Capitol Hill because there was a little bit of chaos and disarray. Now that Mike Johnson is reprioritizing the itemed agenda of the House Republicans, you see now, oh, Mike Johnson is a threat to national security, the, the, the country, he's going to help Donald Trump get reelected. And if that happens, wait till you hear the absolute heater after we check in on the meltdown that Elise Jordan had on Joe Duesborough. So yesterday morning, let's check it out. Trump is trying to radicalize his followers to the extent that he can do pretty much whatever he wants to. And so far, he's been pretty successful in that uh, you know, there's some polling that suggests that one in five Americans, that they are radicalized to the state of an extremist uh, by the same indicators that we would have used when we polled post 9-11 uh, extremist, extremism and terrorism in the Middle East. And it's incredibly scary that so much of the country is being divided in this way for political expediency and for power. And that's why it's important for those who do care about democratic institutions to keep speaking out. And we have learned over the years to take Trump at his word and that some of his followers will do what he says. Over the weekend in Iowa, uh, he asked for his followers to go into deep blue big cities, Philadelphia and the like, and watch the polls to protect the vote, which yeah, sure sounds why like wouldn't they? voter intimidation uh, to me. Um, it doesn't sound like much of voter intimidation to me, does it, Noah? No, it sounds more like what a safe and secure election. Isn't that like the whole thing that they wanted? Yeah, that, that's a little bit of a take right there from the Washington Post, which... And if anybody is planning on doing that, do not interfere with people's right to vote. Do not... Let them put know, the pizza boxes back up over the windows again, but yeah. just make sure you're there to to provide a little bit of oversight into the fact that it's happening again. Yeah, volunteer. Like, don't just show up and be a weirdo. So her comments came off the heels of an article that came out over the weekend. It was an opinion piece in the Washington Post as well, completely shit publication there. I'm going to read you the title. Tell me how you feel about it and if this sounds like it's straight and narrow and uh, completely unbiased. Opinion. A Trump dictatorship increasingly is inevitable. <laughs> we should stop pretending. <laughs> and look at the picture they used. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. Little Donald Trump bottom on top of a Caligula top. Wow. And here's the thing. You read the article. And you start to get into the nitty-gritties of what's going on here. Not only does it basically green light, hypothesize, and even predict that a Donald Trump assassination is going to happen before the next election. I already predicted it. I beat him to it. But they try to normalize in the back end of the article what life afterwards would look like. And this is an article that came out in one of the, I mean, it's the last bastions of, of print press, but major publications left in America. Mm-hmm. And you talk about this rhetoric that continues to get ramped up against America First and MAGA. This is probably close to the pinnacle of what we've seen over the course of the last couple of weeks. Much like the changing narrative is amongst those on the radical left who are currently attending the COP28, uh, which is the world's biggest climate change summit. You're not excited? COP28? Yeah. What does that stand for? It should be Con 28, to be honest yeah, with you. Yeah, right? 
So the biggest thing here, first of all, China did not participate. Know that. Well, that's odd because they're the number one participant of any, any type of pollution. Like literally number one. So John Kerry and Kill Dog are the two clips I pulled from this. Perfect. Because even though they're not specifically targeting Donald Trump, they are targeting energy dominance here, at least in John Kerry's case. But, no, you're going to have to listen real hard here. You could tell about the former failed Democrat presidential candidate. Might have let something slip a little bit while he was speaking. Mm. Let's check it out. Transitioning out of coal. There shouldn't be any more coal-fired power plants permitted anywhere in the world. That's how you can do something for health. And the reality is that we're not doing it. Does China get permits? So, um, you know, the measure here is is really uh, sounding the alarm bell. I find myself getting more and more militant because I do not understand how adults who are in position of responsibility can be avoiding responsibility for taking away those things that are killing people on a daily basis. And and the reality huh. is that... Did you hear that? Yeah. Um, the climate crisis and the health crisis are one and the same. So John Kerry farted while he was talking. <laughs> He's that, like that that outfit was a fart just on, up and up unto unto itself. That was this like purple suit and a disgusting pale pastel pink tie. He's like I can't believe there aren't more people on board with taking away the things that are killing people. <laughs> and I'm just like and I showed you the video because when he did it he kind of stutters and looks down, and the lady next to him covers her face because she was probably going to laugh, and the guy that's sitting next to both of them just kind of does a, like, there's three seats. He thought it was going to be silent. Three mics, and there's nobody else in that auditorium. There's no place that that noise could have come from except his chair. Yeah, his reaction just guarantees that it was him. You know, and, and it just goes off to the hypocrisy of things. China opens up to— So now we have to worry about John Kerry farts and cow farts. Oh, man, that's true. Should we stop eating John Kerry's then? I don't ever want it. It's so, Soylent Green. There you people. go. <laughs> but the thing is, you know, when you, when you look at it in its totality, you have China who's not participating in this event, never does when it comes to the climate change bullshit and the hype and the narrative there. And they're opening up two coal-burning factories at the very least a week. Yeah, and, so where is China permitting their fucking coal plants? Like, are they, are they asking anyone's permission to... to to open up, how many you were saying a week? Three, four a week? Multiple a week. Like, that's a shit ton of coal burning plants. That's a lot. Yeah, and, the, and the, you know, when you look at it, then you have all the Middle East countries there, especially like Saudi Arabia, who's saying, you know, they're saying the only way to, you know, get to that net carbon zero bullshit is to eliminate the usage of fossil fuels in its entirety. And, and you know, the, all the princes and kings and emirs of all these countries that are rich in oil are like, you will take us back to the fucking caves yeah. if you do that. Like back to the Stone Age. And, and it's the truth. You know, you, you have to take this as these, these radical nuts. And who's the people that are making money off it? Of course, it's China because they're the ones who are, you know, digging up the lithium in Africa. And they're the ones who are producing all of this EV technology. Yeah. And they're, they're the ones that are shipping it all over here, too. And all of our businesses, like I've gone and said this a thousand times. All these businesses that ship all of their labor and all of their production over to China, it doesn't matter if if people are burning tires in your yard or your neighbor's yard. The fucking sky is the sky. Yep. Like it 
like, oh, well, you know, we're not allowed to do it here, so we're just going to do it over there. Well, it doesn't make any difference. How about you start doing stuff in the United States where we do it cleaner than anybody else? Our refineries, our, you know, petrol fucking production, well, then you have gasoline, all, whatever you want to call it. All these third world countries, too, they either burn their garbage or they just take it over to like the Or nearest, they just throw it in the fucking ocean. Yeah, the, the nearest seaside cliff and dump it into I've, the ocean. I've been to Indonesia and literally just like any ravine or culvert or anything with water in it is just completely full of trash. Mm-hmm. That's that's just where the trash goes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. And, you know, so is the narrative that they're providing. Donald Trump comes back. We don't have to worry about any of this stuff. We'll be pulling out of, you know, all these climate packs and we'll be working towards energy dominance in, in what we believe would be a handoff to a, a president that would take the mantle after Donald Trump and hopefully be in the White House, you know, continuing these same energy dominant policies for the next eight years following Donald Trump's second term in office. Last clip I got before we jump in with Brian Live. It's a busy Tuesday edition of the Steak Breakers podcast. I did mention Kill Dog. I got her. You know, she's got a pretty bad track record when it comes to people who know her and people who have met their untimely demise. But here's the thing. It's a lot of people. Maybe you haven't thought about the fact that it could have been... Coincidence? Climate related. (laughs) Let's hear it. We're seeing uh, and beginning... To pay attention and to count and record all the people uh, that have the died deaths that are related to climate, Look, and by far the biggest killer is extreme heat. I mean, even in again, Europe right? last summer, which uh, has the ability to count and figure out what happened, they recorded 61,000 deaths because of the heat in Europe. We don't have that kind of number yet from Africa, Asia, Latin America, but we know and estimate that we probably uh, could uh, measure about 500,000 deaths. And the majority of those are women and girls, and particularly pregnant women. What? Why are they women and girls? For as many times as she said, uh, there, she had no idea what she was talking about. Yeah. She, she doesn't care. And all she was worried about was getting her steak tartare and caviar covered crackers after the event mm. and probably collecting some debts on, uh, you know, people who owe the Clinton crime family money. And, and it, it just goes to show you if they're not talking about how Donald Trump is going to end everything. The radical left is telling you that if you don't end the things that make your life more comfortable, that's heating and air conditioning, the ability to drive, run your small business, et cetera, then, then, you know, they're going to have to take that away from you because MAGA Americans are essentially going to destroy our great nation. So how dare you? That's kind of the, the rhetoric that we saw ramped up, you know, the, just this week. And we're only here on Tuesday on the Steak for Breakfast podcast. We'll continue to track it as we get ready to jump in with Brian live. But before we do that, Let's hear from one of our partners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Battleborn Coffee Roasters. They're law enforcement, family-owned, and they produce some of the best available specialty-grade coffee. That means all those beans have gone through an extensive process to remove all defects. Battleborn researches all their sources, farms, and milling stations to make sure you're not getting any pesticides or chemical fertilizers. Sit back and have a cup of their borderline Mexico Chiapas blend while you're out sitting on an X or sitting in the office. High-quality coffee from high-quality people. Use promo code STEAK for 20% off your first order. Make sure you go check them out at battleborn.coffee. All right, joining us next on the show today is this big Tuesday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's the founder of Henry Public Relations USA. He's also a major contributor on Newsmax, does a lot of the same when he comes here on the show. Mr. Brian Live, welcome back. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Good to be back on. Man, got to touch on, on a bunch of stuff with you today. We saw the operation against Hamas 
between Israel and the terror organization has resumed, much to the reluctance of the Biden administration. You know, there was a, a big push to maybe stop hostilities from the Israeli side as they carry out their, you know, counterattack to what Hamas did back on October 7th. It seems to have been, I mean, outside of, of the people who really understand the severity of the situation, well-received here in the United States, which was very alarming to us. It seems like, you know, Israel needs to finish doing what they're doing before they can even move on to anything after that. But when it comes to the foreign policy of, of this administration, they want to see the hostilities end as soon as possible. In addition, you've had the vice president of the United States in the last 48 hours come out and say the one thing that she's focused on right now regarding the conflict is how fast we're going to be able to pay for the rebuilding of Gaza territory once the conflict is over there. Brian, you want to provide our listenership with a little bit of commentary as you see it? Yeah, so uh, you're exactly correct. The vice president uh, gave a, a speech about how, you know, we need to be supportive of uh, the Palestinian Authority, revitalize them, help them rebuild. Uh, and then at the same time, uh, the national security spokesperson, John Kirby, said that the Palestinian Authority is in no way, shape or form in a position to govern. So, you know, we've talked about this many times on this program before. You know, it, it's just a lot of double talk coming out of this administration, coming out of the White House. It it seems like there's really, if I'm being frank, two factions inside of the White House. You have a kind of this common sense, old school, blue collar Democrats. Uh, and then you have this radical, far left progressive uh, base. Uh, and I think, you know, it's they're, they're trying to play both sides here, both internally and also when you look around the world, you have the administration trying to play both sides everywhere around the world. You know, so, you know, they are quick to uh, unfreeze billions of dollars to the Islamic Republic of Iran, loosen sanctions, ignore the fact that the Houthis who are bankrolled by the Iranians continue to launch attacks against U.S. interests. And they look the other way uh, with that stuff. And, and and But at the same time, they also, you know, fund Israel. They help provide military aid for Israel. They say that Israel is well within their means and right to uh, eliminate Hamas once and for all. So it's a lot of this double talk. Um, and, and honestly, it just comes down to, you know, uh, uh, something I said in the Daily Call or op-ed just a, a little while ago. The world is on fire right now, guys, and it's because of Joe Biden's spineless foreign policy. Yeah, you know, you talk about the two sects of the at least Democrats up on Capitol Hill right now, the more traditional ones who are, who kind of understand how this game is played. And then there's this new radical wing who just, you know, has redefined what uh, modern American, American politics are, are heading towards. You know, over the course of since October 7th, you've seen those like Elon Omar and uh, Rashida Tlaib come out and talk about the bright side of the attack on Israel and all of the things that look favorable for the people of Gaza and the Palestinians that live there. However, it was Representative Jayapal this weekend who went out and even when pressured on, on a more leftist, you know, mainstream media news organization like CNN on the amount of atrocities that occurred on that date and, and ones that lead all the way up to now where, you know, we're hearing that Hamas is reluctant to release some of the female hostages that they've taken because they're scared that the stories of rape and torture are going to become, you know, more uh, commonly put into the public news. When you see a woman who, who's an elected official supposed to be representing an entirety of the American people, but and not just the people in her district and uh, representative Jay pal up there talking about how, yeah, you know, the rapes and stuff that happens, that's part of war. But at the same time, we have to look at what's going on with the Gaza, you know, the people who live there, how, 
mind blowing was that to you to see that go down this weekend and moving forward how much of a of of a job does republicans have to you know squash that kind of a narrative as soon as it's uttered from someone's mouth well i think house republicans have actually done a very good job uh you know naming and shaming members of the squad and 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 their friends on the left who have really been saying some some truly disgusting and and grotesque things uh, not just recently but but for a while now and when you look at Pramila Jayapal and her comments that she made on on CNN, um, and it's just there's no excuse for that, right? But but I but I don't think we should be surprised because I mean Pramila Jayapal is the same person that a month and a half or two months ago uh, at a conference got up on stage and put her arms up and she said, "I want everyone to know that we have been doing everything that we possibly can." For the world to know that Israel is a racist state. This is a member of Congress coming yeah. out and, and saying Israel is a racist state. So um, there's a lot of bad, bad eggs in, in uh, the Democratic Party. I mean, of course, you mentioned the Ilhan and Rashidas of the world. But, you know, it's it's also getting a lot worse, guys. You know, five years ago, it was just Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib and maybe one or two others. And now it's those plus Pramila plus 15 other members that are signing on to anti Israel resolutions. So uh, anti-Semitism certainly is growing uh, within uh, the Democratic Party, especially in the House. And they seem to really have an issue kind of condemning it. I mean, and until recently, I should say, you know, uh, Pramila Jayapal's comments on CNN uh, were actually, first of all, very strongly pushed back uh, against by Dana Bash on CNN, which, yep. you know, was very good, ha- happy to see the first time ever I'm going to give kudos to CNN <laughs> probably in my entire lifetime. Um, you know, so that was nice to see. But also there were a lot of uh, Democrat House members that that laid her out and really took her to task. Um, so, you know, maybe the tide is turning a little bit. I want to be hopeful that it is. But 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 also we have to kind of just look at the lay of the land right now. And and as we look at the rise of anti-Semitism in this country right now, a lot of it is happening on college campuses. And in fact, earlier this morning, it was House Republicans, not House Democrats, House Republicans that held a uh, full-blown press conference giving Jewish college students an opportunity to tell their story about what it's like for them on their college campuses right now. That was House Republicans that did that, not House Democrats. So, um, you know, maybe it's time for House Democrats to start doing things like that. But I mean, one thing is clear to me, uh, House Republicans have always uh, supported the, the Jewish people here in America. Uh, Republican Party as a whole, I think, has really always been very supportive of the Jewish people and also the state of Israel. And uh, I just hope that uh, maybe at some point, and we've talked about this too, maybe at some point these Democrats, uh, Jewish Democrats, will start voting uh, more for for people that actually support them, i.e. Republicans. No, that's the truth. And then, you know, Brian, when you heard some of the testimony from those students up on Capitol Hill today, pretty eye-opening the way to see that how everyday average Americans who are attending these major colleges and universities have to go and kind of navigate their life, you know, as someone who's Jewish, but in the face of all this hatred that's kind of reared its ugly head and and has become more normalized and and is becoming a a formal thing to see now, especially with the help of people like those leftists and and let's just say Congress. And then some of the people in the mainstream press who just seem to cover it down the middle without providing any insight into the dangerousness of, of allowing this to rear its ugly head so publicly in America again. 
Exactly. And you know what the, the even bigger problem is, is the leadership on these college campuses that have time and time again stuck their neck and face in the sand like an ostrich and, and hope that, you know, these people would go away. I mean, it's gotten even worse. Uh, and I mean, the fact that you've got college students uh, on our campuses throughout this country, foreign nationals that are here on student visas, guests of our country that are openly inciting violence against other Americans, and they're still in this country, is just something that I really can't wrap my head around. You know, taking off my my Jewish hat and just thinking from purely from an American perspective, you know, why are we allowing foreign nationals that are here on student visas that are openly inciting violence, calling for violence against Americans. They're tearing down American flags. They're burning American flags. Why are these people still in this country right now? And there's just, it, it, I just can't wrap my head around it. I mean, I mean, you know, and, and I think you've heard a lot of, uh, you know, Republican, you know, presidential hopefuls and, and especially our dear friend, president Donald J. Trump, yes. uh, who's come out and said, you know what, when I get back in, we're going to deport all of these individuals, and we should. I mean, this really shouldn't be such a controversial thing. You're here to you're here as a guest of our country, and you're you're inciting violence against our people. You're burning our flag. You're tearing our flag down. Goodbye. You know, you're done. You know, have a nice day. Go back to your country. No, that, that's not that's not racist to say that 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 is just that is what we should be doing as a country right now. And. Uh, the Democrats are too feckless to do anything like that. Yeah, and, and it's literally happening in the streets of America as we speak or as you listen to this podcast right now. Okay, Brian, last thing I want to touch with you on, obviously a major event here for uh, everyone, Steak for Breakfast, the amount of guests we have coming in and out, obviously for you and your family as well. We're days away from the start of the celebration of Hanukkah. It is, uh, you know, kind of the icing on the cake to talk about everything that we just covered over the course of the last 15 minutes and then jump right into the fact that Something as normal as Hanukkah celebrations across the country and uh, lightings of menorahs in towns across the U.S. is something that's just an, as normal as a, a Christmas tree lighting or any other holiday tradition that, that kind of just falls into what the American experience is all about. However, everywhere up from Capitol Hill to major cities across the, the nation are just seeming to cancel there's, you know, uh, holiday celebrations regarding Hanukkah and stuff like that. And, and, and it seems like, you know, it, it's out of public safety and pressure from the, the radical left to not have celebrations that could be targeted by, you know, counter narrative protests and, and even acts of violence. When you see us edging over that cliff right now to where we can't even have public menorah lightings and, and welcoming in the start of Hanukkah here in the United States. This isn't like it's happening in some obscure country in, in the middle of Africa or the Middle East. This is here in the United States. I mean, it's got to be setting off some some alarms in your head at the very least. Certainly is setting off some alarms, but it also it pulls, pulls at our heartstrings as Jews yeah. in America, you know, that this is the this is the state of affairs and state of play that we're in right now, um, where there's a lot of Jews around this country that don't feel safe. Uh, there are more Jews now than ever before that are purchasing guns, getting gun licenses because we don't feel safe. Um, <clears throat> and I think it really speaks to kind of the moral decay, you know, of our of our overall society. Sure. Um, and and honestly, guys, when we when we look at these protests that have been happening around our country and of course around the world. Um, these are all happening, you know, from, you know, Hamas supporters, Hamas sympathizers. Um, and a lot of these people are also supporters of radical Islam. Um, so, you know, as a Jew in America, I honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm really not fearful of, of anything other than radical Islam. 
And and when you look at these um, protests that are happening, you know, that's the driving force behind a lot of this, you know, so we have a we have a real issue in this country and especially around the world with with those that support radical Islam. Um, and um, that really needs to be addressed once and for all. But, you know, it, to any any uh, of your your Jewish listeners that, that might be listening, you know, as much as, you know, a lot of us don't feel safe in this country right now, that can't stop us from being proud of who we are, being public about who we are. Um, so, you know, my advice would be is to make sure you still light that menorah, put it in your window, let, let your neighbors see it, um, you know, be out there, be active, you know, in the community. Um, because, you know, when we stop being active and we recoil, that's, they win, you know, the, the, that that's when darkness wins. And the biggest thing about Hanukkah is bringing, you know, our light into the world. Right. Um, and, and that's what God willing, uh, so many millions of Jews around this country will be doing starting this Thursday for the next eight nights. And, um, you know, that's, that's all we can do. We can, you know, keep, keep bringing our light into the world, keep being positive and strong about who we are. Um, and, um, and, and work and partner with, with our friends from, from other faiths that, that we know are supportive of us. And we're so grateful, you know, to have that support and that's all we can do, but we've, we've got to do something about radical Islam guys. It's not just a threat for Jews. It's a threat for overall society in our country right now. Yeah. And for as much as it was crushed under the Trump administration, both by sanctions and literally when it comes to the case of people like Saul Maney, you know, you, you have to look at how Joe Biden is completely uh, refilled the coffers mm-hmm. of, of the Iranian regime and, and through uh, deregulation and, and the uncoupling of sanctions allowed Iran to flourish again. Therefore, you see all these major terrorist organizations all over the world seeming stronger than ever before. Brian, this has been, as always, awesome sitting down with you. Uh, we love the commentary that you bring to our show. We're obviously going to be live linking your website and Henry Public Relations in our show description today. But for anyone that wants to follow you on social media, where can they check you out? You know, I guess Twitter, X, whatever they're calling it these days, uh, that's the biggest platform. My uh, handle's Brian Leib, FL, uh, and you can also take a look at uh, my PR firm, which I, I will note, very proud of this, Henry PR is a conservative PR firm that only represents conservatives. We don't take on liberals or progressives as clients, and we ho- we solely focus on just helping conservatives elevate their voices, elevate their brands uh, to new heights. So, uh, guys, it's been a pleasure as always. Thank you very much for having me on. No, absolutely fantastic. As is always when you're on the show, this is the founder of Henry Public Relations USA, Newsmax contributor, great friend of Steak for Breakfast, Mr. Brian Live. Thanks for coming on the show, and have a fantastic Hanukkah, my friend. Thank you very much. When I told you the polls would not move after the Governor Reynolds endorsement, didn't I say that? Mm-hmm. Was I right? Correct. When, I, when I'm telling you now, the polls will not move after the Bob Vanderplatz endorsement. I am telling you now, Ron DeSantis could produce 75,000 biomarker confirmed. I will vote for Ron DeSantis in the Iowa caucuses under the under under penalty of death. <laughs> Commitment cards. The polls will not move. And that was the very bloated and frustrated Steve Deese from the Daily Wire having his try Sholi meltdown mm. about how Ron DeSantis can't get any footing in the 2024 GOP primary. You know, and, and for as much coverage as we're getting ready to be providing on Nikki Haley because it seems like she's going to be the last one standing after Ron DeSantis is forced out. 
we just have to be able to pay homage to how absolutely disastrous. I don't know if you saw Noah. Never back down. Apparently not. Always back down. Went through about four CEOs in, in a 48-hour period. Good for them. And the amount of scandals that is coming out of that campaign, everything from, like, cuckery to just straight-up affairs and misuse of campaign finances, et cetera, plus just lying everywhere on the campaign trail saying Donald Trump didn't build the border wall and, you know, he's the only candidate that's ever lost to Joe Biden, this, that, and the other thing. It's just silly to even kind of have to look at, but as we're getting ready to say goodbye to Ron DeSantis soon, we would like to pretty much, you know, highlight the epic fail that's been his candidacy and running up to the Iowa caucuses, which is now exactly six weeks away. I do want to remind everybody before we continue to move on with our last news segment here and before we jump in with former FBI agent and whistleblower Steve Friend, Wherever you're listening to the show today, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, make sure you're following it and that it's downloading to your electronic device. Helps us out bigly. In addition, across every social media platform, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram, find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow us, and hit the notification bell. Patrick Bet David, who humiliated Ron DeSantis recently, we played the clip on the show when he presented him with a pair of boots and asked him to change into it, mm. which Ron DeSantis refused and said he couldn't take gifts. <laughs> What about loners? No, nope. <laughs> not even in a bowling shoe context. You know, what's funny is that uh, Ron DeSantis wore like snow boots out on the trail in Iowa this weekend, but you could still see like the lifts because of how the boots are like stuck in his pants. And it's just a joke to watch. You know, that his political future is completely nuked. We all know it. Patrick Bet David knows it too. And when he jumped on with the boys over at Full Send, he kind of elaborated to that instance that went down on his show. Let's hear it. My point I'm trying to make to you is DeSantis has to ask himself, is he a flag carrier, president? You can still be a president, but Trump's an alpha. So he could have easily been the guy to help Trump be a flag carrier, and then he could have ran 2028. He would have gotten MAGA. But because of the way he took his position, unfortunately, I don't think MAGA, majority of MAGA is not going to forgive him. And they're going to remember that forever to come. I wonder why he made that decision, because that would have been such a formidable duo. Trump-DeSantis 2024. Oh, and dude. you think there's no chance that that still happens? Well, I asked him, I said, when's the last time you called Trump? I don't need to call him. I said, would you be willing to go have a meeting with Trump at Mar-a-Lago? I'm not going to fly out to him. I'll get on a call. Can't say stuff like that. You're not the alpha. You can't talk to an alpha like that. Yep. He's the alpha. You're not. <laughs> Oh, no, that's not even the worst of it. And we'll get to that in a second. I do have to say, Noah, and I'll be completely honest with you, there's a lot of podcasts out there. Tim Pool, the Nelk Boys, you know, we like them all. And out of all the ones that I would, Megan Kelly, of course, the one that wipes the Rizless podcast ass. Mm. Back, opened, back to front? They opened up their show today with about 20 minutes of talking about animals and the NFL, so I'm sure the ratings will be off the charts. Perfect. Yeah. Florida State did get jobbed in the college football playoffs, so I am going to go out there and say that. That's a fucking embarrassment to mm. all of amateur sports. That's what happens when you let people like Condoleezza Rice vote for who goes to the college football playoffs. I, I still don't understand how that goes down. 
But out of all the shows that are out there, I think the one that I would hope that we get invited to first most would be PBD. Mm-hmm. He's always got, you know, I listen. He did a almost three hour podcast with Fredo last week, Fredo Cuomo, mm-hmm. and he brought up everything from eat the sausages and dip the garlic knots, eat the sausage. To how he got caught lying about COVID. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. called Fredo's phone during the podcast, and they, like, answered it and put it up to the microphone. Really? Yeah. (laughs) He's like, yes, it's me. I am Iron Man. And it's like, you know, I I like the way that they're set up. But here's the thing about PBD. They do their research. They go back and get all the receipts. And just when he lows you into, like, oh, yeah, we're boys. We're hanging out. We're having a good time here. He'll ask you about the most off-the-wall ridiculous. <laughs> like what he did with Ron DeSantis in the boots. They had gone almost an hour before they got into the boots. Well, you got to lull him into your comfort zone where he's like, he's all his defenses are down. He's just like, okay, this is going really well. You know, I'm, I, don't, I don't seem like a total fucking heel at this point. Speaking of heels. <laughs> That's the truth. And then they lulled him back into it with talking about how strong he's looked in some cases on the campaign trail. And then they asked him a question about his height. And it's, it's a video, even though I listened to the audio, I saw the clip on social media. And right when he does, you see Ron DeSantis go like this in his chair and, and straightens back. Oh, I'm 5'11". The fuck you are. And, and he went into him for 10 minutes on how, listen, we know your wife's 5'6". You're like an inch taller. Just... What's wrong to be a short king? And Ronda Sanders got all mad about it. He just <laughs> couldn't handle it. I I mean, hasn't anybody brought up his service record or anything? Like, isn't some of that stuff? Well, here's somebody's got to be able to look at that. Here's the thing: he was a he was the person that collected UAs mm. before he became a jag. There's got to be somebody that knows that he's seventy inches. Poor little meatball. Mm. You know, and it's with that that last night Ronda Santos appeared on the Laura Ingram, the Botox Queen show on Fox News. They were starting to talk about how Donald Trump put on Truth Social that it was Ron DeSantis' fault that Florida State didn't make the college football playoffs because he's the governor and didn't <laughs> lobby hard enough. So, of course, everybody's I, – I posted, Ron DeSantis hates Florida State football. And, <laughs> and, you know, it's all this. But Laura Ingram was challenged by Ron DeSantis onto the whole, well, Donald Trump's afraid to interview me, so we should interview and do a debate right here on your show. Now, Donald Trump is going on Boomer Sweat's Sean Hannity's show tonight for a town hall. I don't know if, if Sean Hannity's going to ask Donald Trump about Ron DeSantis. He probably shouldn't because you know Donald Trump's going to talk about a loser that doesn't deserve to be debated against. But here's the thing. They've been treating Donald Trump with kid gloves for the last couple of days because as soon as they start going negative on him, at least in the short term, because Donald Trump incessantly watches cable news he will back out of this interview and last night when Ron DeSantis who has gotten favorable coverage since his announcement challenged Donald Trump on the Botox Queen show she not only pushed back hard but gave him a parting consolation gift let's hear it you know Donald Trump wants to blame me you know he also said that um he also took Disney side against us when we stood up for the kids. He also said Cuomo in New York did COVID uh, be- better than we did. And they attacked me for being pro-life. Maybe that's a reason we should have a debate on your show, Laura. Stop being a keyboard warrior and let's uh, step up and debate one-on-one. He's had a lot to yeah. say about me over the last year. Say it to yeah. my face. I'm game. Yeah, well, you He's know, the RNC mm. has their supposed rules. They can't have debates. Uh, that Listen all has to, to go away. You need to go head-to-head with Nikki Haley. It will be totally fair. <laughs> Everyone will get a fair shot and a fair chance to speak. And I know Governor um, uh, Haley would, you know, quit herself well. And I know you would acquit yourself very well. So I hope she Learned takes our, uh, our offer on that. And it- 
listen, when Ron DeSantis is trying to call out Donald Trump and Laura Ingram shuts that shit down and says, you need to debate Nikki Haley instead, <laughs> justifying the fact that there's a fake primary going on underneath and behind Donald Trump's ascension to the Republican nomination, it speaks more than volumes. It speaks that it's over, that Ron DeSantis's time on Fox News is now finite. If he's not returning as a commentator following the conclusion of his failed presidential campaign, <laughs> then he ain't going to be on there at all because it seems like they've had it with him. And when you just look at the inappropriateness level of what's gone on behind closed doors over at Team DeSantis, they have nobody to blame but themselves. They took people that were closely aligned with Jeb Bush, Paul Ryan, Chris Christie, Ted Cruz, people that maybe worked in some context during the first Trump term. They put them all in a room and said, we're going to run a better campaign than the man who led the biggest political movement in the history of this country back in 2015. And we're just going to steal that movement away from him because we're an alternative. It wasn't that they were an alternative. It's that they were no longer included in the America first movement. They were no longer included in a potential second Trump presidential term. And they were all spoiled brat bitches with their mentalities and attitude. It's turned into something that I would only consider to be vile online. And moving forward, people will look back on Ron DeSantis' campaign as exactly the way you don't want to do it. So getting ready to jump in with Steve Friend. But in our last audio clip of the day, I've got a little one from Tucker Carlson, who recently on his show highlighted the exact moment in time when he decided that Donald Trump would be named the 2024 Republican nominee. And moving forward, most likely going to be the next president of the United States. Let's hear it. Trump became the nominee in August of last year, 2022, when the FBI went through his wife's underwear drawer in his house. Like, that was so insane that even if you're like, oh, I can't deal with more Trump, and he didn't actually do anything, and he put Jared in charge, of, you know, like, there are lots of frustrations you could have about Trump if you supported Trump, and you could be disappointed. But the second... The FBI raids his house on a documents charge, and anyone from Washington, as I am, can tell you that's like insane. Yep. Like every, that's like so common. It's not, if they're charging him for that, that's a joke. Where are the felonies he supposedly committed? I was led to believe he like murdered people and buried them in the Meadowlands. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, w that's the best they got when they did that. I, I know for a fact, and this piece showed it, but I knew it already. A lot of people are like, you know, I have mixed feelings about Trump or I don't want to deal with more Trump drama. But if this is allowed to happen, our system won't continue. And, you know, last episode of the show, we heard when Tucker Carlson jo joined Roseanne Barr on her podcast, how he felt about Trump now. How is her podcast? I like it. Yeah, it's very I mean, you they, they just lay on couches like they get as comfortable as possible. <laughs> And they just hang the mics over wherever they're, like, sitting or laying. And, and Roseanne just asks questions, and they bullshit about it. I like it. Yeah. It, it's a good listen. And uh, I'm glad she's back and, and heavily involved in the America First movement as well. She's actually my favorite in a lot of the commentary she provides on some of the funny. <laughs> she's always ratioing people on social media, too. There was somebody, like, uh, there was a picture of her. She was wearing, like, a pink unitard. It looked like something that she was outside, like, shoveling snow in she had like goggles on it had like the little the spandex that goes over her head so you can only see like her face and she's like this like in a ballerina pose like in front of her front door and then there were some people who like were quoting that post and you know because there was like a checkerboard mat that you wipe your feet on they were like making some 
Huan reference. <laughs> and she just kept quoting it back to them. And she's like, oh, yeah, boys, it's all over. I've got all the secrets to the government stuff. I was like, Roseanne, you're my favorite. Because, you know, you're old and you're not as as sharp as probably you were back when you did the sitcom back in the 80s. But the fire that she continues to bring, uh, it's definitely something that helps invigorates this movement. So that's kind of the news as we're seeing it today on this Tuesday edition of the show. Don't worry, we still have got former FBI agent and whistleblower Steve Friend coming in. But before we get started with Steve... Let's check in one more time with one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is handpicked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. Cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you enter promo code STEAK here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100 Free shipping and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Tuesday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, he's the host of the American Radicals podcast. He's also a fantastic fellow over at the Center for Renewing America, former FBI agent, whistleblower. Looking forward to be sitting down with Mr. Steve Friend again. Steve, welcome back to the show. Great to be here with you again. Well, I saw one of your uh, great friends, Christopher Ray, was up on Capitol Hill quite a bit recently, as as recent as today. And uh, today they were talking about 702. I believe in the last couple of weeks they were talking about border security and how that ties into national security, which, uh, you know, Director Ray parlayed into his comments this morning that prior to 9-11, it's, it's pretty well known that every bell and whistle and alarm within the United States federal security apparatus was going off and... We dropped the ball. He says we are nearing that point if we haven't already crossed the threshold today. Steve, you have some pretty uh, relevant and, you know, near current experience working within the organization. You saw the way that, you know, the job was changing over the course of throughout the presidency of Donald Trump and into Joe Biden. But now it seems like with all of the international conflicts going on and the porous U.S. southern border, we are setting ourselves up for something that could eventually turn into a disaster as you see this stuff happen and, and you see the way it unfolds. And then you hear the commentary from people like current FBI director, Christopher way, how alarming is it to you to see the way that they'll go out there and at times say the right things, but you know, behind the scenes, it's just not the case. It's never the right case. There's always the, the, the right reason that they want to give you, but then there's the real reason. And you take something like section 702 from, from FISA, which they're, uh, there's wailing and gnashing of teeth about the fact that it's going to be expiring at the end of the year and they want Congress to renew it. And this is a tool that was intended to be for counterintelligence purposes to surveil foreign adversaries when they were not within the continental United States. However, it is only useful to a domestic law enforcement agency like the FBI is allegedly supposed to be if they use it for reverse targeting purposes and they use it to spy on innocent Americans. And despite what Christopher Ray said to the Senate about how they've now they've been called out on their misuse of it and they've had new policies and procedures put into place, well, they won't let the Senate see those new policies and procedures. And the fact that they're using this tool and now touting it as something that's useful in combating things that, again, the real reason versus the right reason, they're saying they're using 702 to stop fentanyl from streaming over the border. That is not what this tool is intended for. It is a ring of power, but the FBI is going to dolly it up. They're going to put lipstick on this pig because they're hoping that they can just get, get pulling the heartstrings enough of the American people to have this, this ring of power put back into their control. 
Yeah, it was pretty wild, uh, the exchange between Utah Senator Mike Lee and, and Christopher Ray earlier today where, you know, Christopher Ray could recall off the top of his head maybe two times that the appropriate use of 702 might have been triggered. And, and, you know, Senator Lee referred to the 103 other cases that had happened that, you know, Christopher Ray had failed to mention. And, and it just seems to be, you know, part of the normal practice that, that goes into the everyday business that's happening down at the FBI right now. Uh, it seems like they're going above and beyond to, you know, figure out a way to not be able to do things the right way. And at the same time, make it a lot harder for American people to, you know, enjoy the benefits of the Constitution, which is part of the, I guess, benefits you have of being an American citizen. You know, we also saw recently there was a report that came out from the GOP Oversight Committee, uh, the Ways and Means House Judiciary also, you know, participated in it as well, that basically justified some of the whistleblowers uh, regarding the IRS scandal and and Hunter Biden, um, showing that there was a clear and present bias and, and kid gloves used in, in handling the son of the current president. When you see now, after a full-on investigation and the appropriate amount of oversight uh, lended to a case of that nature, how do you feel uh, justification-wise are the two FBI agents? I mean, Gary Shipley was on the show a couple months ago right after he testified up on Capitol Hill. And then, you know, moving forward, we, we do have these uh, – depositions that are going to be happening as early as next week. I believe the 13th Hunter Biden is supposed to be up in uh, Washington, D.C. and testifying before the committee before his public hearing that you think will be moving towards, I don't know, finding some justice for these people, especially in the Biden crime family, who obviously are, are going to be uh, heavily scrutinized moving forward as far as Congress is concerned. You know, I'm not too optimistic about what's going to actually come out of this. And, and the reason for that is it seems to me that the the House Republicans view having a hearing as in itself a victory enough. Having the public relations victory to them is sufficient. It gets them their fundraising. It gets them on TV. And it gets them to be able to say, we're doing the bidding of our constituents. However, they do have the power of the purse. And they do have the ability to make perjury referrals and, and, and open criminal investigations. Uh, and they're not doing that. And, and I, I think in my own experience having testified, and as is the case with these IRS guys, it's just the the follow through isn't there because they're unfortunately going to run out of time here. Even uh, if there there was an appetite to do it, they're going to go into next year. There's going to be an election year, and nothing's going to happen. It's going to be cannon fodder for them on the election uh, uh, circuit when they're when they're campaigning because it's easier for them to say reelect me and I will bring this to pass as opposed to just bringing it for pass and then losing that as a wedge issue that they can use to to get a vote. Then you know, you know you make an excellent point there, and, and you mentioned heading into an election year. That's the next thing I want to touch on you with. You know, heading into an election year, we did have that uh, dual committee a little over a week ago, where DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas and FBI Director Christopher Ray testified before, uh, I believe, both the House and the Senate within the course of the same week. And, and one of the things they were harping on is the uh, you know investigations and, and regulations they're trying to apply softly to things like AI on social media. But at the same time, moving into an election season, there's always that trying to crush mal-miss and disinformation, as Alejandro Mayorkas so uh, frequently puts it. Heading into a cycle that seems extremely consequential for the American people, I mean, you know, it, 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 what happens at the ballot box next year could pretty much determine the fate of this nation moving forward and, and what everybody knows as America in yesteryears for the rest of eternity moving forward as well. Do you think organizations like the FBI and DHS are, are prepared even more so now and even after being exposed as much as they had with things like the Twitter file and what happened with the FBI and DHS in online censorship in regards to the 2020 presidential election to even ramp it up harder moving into 2024? 
I absolutely believe that. I think that things have been ramped up to such an extent now that they're not worried about having the mask on. They're just going to rip the mask off entirely. You just have to look at what went on with the the censorship that went on with the Hunter Biden laptop story, where you had, in effect, the FBI abusing its FISA authorities to spy on a presidential campaign, learning information there, and then using its liaison efforts with social media companies to go and tell them to censor that information. So the FBI is misusing all of its authority across the board to put its entire arm, not just its thumb, on the electoral process, which when you take a step back and you look at what actually is an election, it's the way that we peacefully resolve conflict in this country. Because if we don't have that, then that's when we have Antietam. And the fact that the chief law enforcement agency for the federal government has seen fit to now insert itself into the election process to have its preferred candidate have a, a better outcome. I think is extremely problematic. And the fact that the Republicans within the, within the Congress are, are loath to uh, to use a shutdown to inflict maximum casualties and, and bring about maximum reform on this agency is a dereliction of duty with it, because this is on the ballot now. Weaponized FBI is on the ballot. If you're going to pass a continuing resolution, especially one that is a budget that was passed by the Nancy Pelosi Congress, you are, in fact, complicit with what's going on. It's the truth, and, you know, we, we have so many congressmen and women come on the show today. You know, we had Representative Norman on earlier, and we asked him about, uh, you know, the potential for another continuing resolution. And it seems like for now the dozen since prior to Thanksgiving we've had on the show since, it, all of them are against any kind of, you know, continuing resolution moving forward and, and omnibus bill. They need to get those appropriations done and done before the current one expires at the beginning of January and then finally the first week of February. You know, one thing I want to kind of piggyback onto this uh, in the election season and, and what's going on with these federal agencies and, and the interference that they're having online and stuff like that is you heard during a whistleblower testimony last week up on Capitol Hill that some of the new ways that our federal agencies are, are able to, you know, uh, essentially spy on Americans and, and, and repress uh, voices on social media is by changing the terms of service by, you know, uh, pressuring the social media application companies to change their terms of service. And it basically opens up the door to say like, hey, you know, it's free and fair and online, but if you're, let's just say, and I'm, I'm saying it for, for joke purposes here, Fed posting, we might be, you know, sending that stuff over to the FBI or we might be allowing, you know, an investigation without your knowing into your social media accounts and stuff like that. When you see the way now how the game is changing, I mean, obviously in 2020, it was like an FBI agent from, let's just say, the San Francisco office could email somebody at Twitter and be like, this account sucks. They're really hammering the narrative the way we don't want to hear it. Shut it down. Now it's to like, we're changing the terms of service. So anybody who we think might, be promoting mal, mis, or disinformation, we can now open investigations in, repress their voices, etc. How, how crazy is that to see the way they've kind of taken it to a new dynamic? Well, they play this a game of accountability, hot potato, where they, they put out guidance and they say, look, we're not really involved in the inner workings of a private company. This is just guidance that we feel are best practices. And then they lean on these companies through threats of regulation or threats of prosecution for one thing or another. And then those companies say, like, look, it's not on us. We're just following government guidance. And that's the way that they're able to pass accountability back and forth to each other. And here's something that's also been lost here. The FBI has circumvented protections, civil liberty protections, search and seizure protections for private social media companies with 
putting personnel to work for those companies or confidential human sources who work for those companies. So last year, it was re revealed in October that the FBI has Operation Bronze Griffin. That's an, a confidential inf source, an informant who works for Meta and provides private communications from people's accounts without a search warrant, a subpoena, or the user's consent back to the FBI. And the FBI then works backwards to justify having that. And it's frequently out of context statements. And it's going to be, once the investigation's open, though, they keep it open and they and they look for a crime because somebody has problematic political beliefs, regardless of their First Amendment protections. You know, it's wild the way this is all kind of shaping up, and it leads me into my last point with you, Steve. You know, we, we've seen so many crazy things happen over the course of since Joe Biden took office, and, and you know, the FBI has been more exposed and, and put on display for the American people to see than it has probably than ever before. And it comes in the form of mass shooters. It comes in the form of school shooters. I mean, last night in Virginia, we saw somebody who had been heavily complained about uh, prior to his neighbors and throughout the community essentially blow up his own house in, right outside of the Capitol in, in Virginia. But at the same time, the FBI is more focused on doing these like public raids with tanks and state and local law enforcement assisting and rounding up people who in most cases at this point weren't even in Washington DC on January 6, 2021 as part of like a public display of embarrassment for people who supported Donald Trump in his attempt to uh you know win the 2020 election back in the day when you see the way the priorities have shifted at places like the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security, and even still now, nearly three years from the date, we still see the whole, you know, these people have gone and worked within their communities, their their dads and brothers, uncles, mothers and sisters who have children and, and kind of have lived their life for nearly the last three years. And, and still, you need to roll up on their house before the sun goes up with the dogs and the tanks and the drones. What can you say about the, the, the priorities of the FBI, even still to this point? And, and how does it show the American people that their best interest doesn't look like their best interest right now? I think that the FBI and the DOJ have lost their prime directive. And the prime directive is the process, not the outcome. The process of due process where we follow the Constitution, we follow the law, we follow the policies and the procedures. And then that individual has their day in court in front of a jury of their peers. But now the FBI is concerned about the wins and the losses column. And in addition to that, it's making the process the punishment. It's using all the tools at its disposal. And when you're at the FBI level, they're not first responders. They're getting the ability to pick and choose who they want to make the punish process the punishment against, which is how you get something like the, the, the latest iteration of domestic terrorism, and that's the agave, the anti-government, anti-authority, violent extremist. And the FBI defines that person who who has just a perception of government overreach, negligence, or illegitimacy. So if you didn't like the government saying you had to wear a face diaper to fly, or you have questions about the southern border, or maybe the greatest mail-in ballot harvesting scheme in the history of the country, now you could find yourselves in the crosshairs of the FBI under investigation as a domestic terrorist. You know, and just coming out of this, as someone who used to be on the other end, someone who was, you know, servicing the raid, someone who was conducting the investigations and, and keeping Americans safe again. You know, moving forward, do you, do you see this as something that as that could be like a quick change with maybe uh, the change of a president after next year's election, an FBI director and some of the senior management? Or is this going to be kind of a process where moving forward, we're going to have to find out, you know, how all of these investigations and, and ones that didn't even matter much to the American people or national security were able to be carried on for so long and so biasly and then moving forward are really going to have to be rooted out before we get the FBI working for the American people again? It's going to be a massive overhaul. 
I think if you want to actually make the FBI work, you would have to six of one half does the other. Get rid of it entirely and restart or the reforms that are necessary. They have to refocus what it should be doing, and that is assisting local law enforcement with addressing crime in its areas, bringing the, the resources and the technology and aiding that sheriff in bringing the crime down in his area rather than listening to the Hoover building and saying, we have a quota system and we're going to go after X amount of people because they pulled the lever for a particular candidate for office. It's wild, man. And we're, you know, we're so glad we, we get to hang out with you at least once a month, get you on the show, get some commentary on this, clear it up for our listenership. Cause you know, just providing commentary as it happens in the news cycle, uh, is one thing, but when you have somebody with as much experience and, and actually went through a lot of the motions over there at the, with the FBI, as you did, Steve, it's, it's just an untapped well of resources that we really appreciate. You can lend to our listenership. This will be great sitting down with you today. We're obviously going to be live linking everything, your new podcast, the American center for renewal. And, and of course your book in the show description, but, uh, for anyone who wants to check you out on social media, where can they find you? You can find me at Real Steve Friend. And like I said, the podcast is their American Radicals podcast at Amrad Pod on Rumble, Saturdays, noon Eastern. And it's going to be going three times a week in the very near future. This guy's doing some amazing work. You got to track it. One of our great friends, Steve Friends. Thanks for coming on the show and joining us today. Have a great rest of the week. I appreciate it, fellas. Not a bad way to start the week out here on the Steak for Breakfast podcast. If you enjoyed this episode of the show and want to hear the now nearly 300 other editions of the podcast, you better be following us across every downloadable podcasting platform. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio is where you'll find us. Follow the show and make sure it's downloading to your electronic device. And then across social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow us, and hit the notification bell. We want to thank all of our guests for coming down today would make life easier for our listenership former fbi agent whistleblower great friend steve friend conservative consultant newsmax contributor brian Leib, chad katem awesome sitting down with him he's going to be running veterans for trump moving forward we're going to be hearing a lot of updates from them on the campaign trail throughout the course of the next year and of course the senior editor at large and host of the josh hammer show great friend as well mr josh hammer that you guys all helped make steak great again guys i know it's going to be a busy week i've seen committee work ramping up just today as the show's going on but don't worry we'll be back with our friday edition of the show we've got a trio of congressmen tentatively scheduled as of today representative ralph norman will be doing a makeup with us on friday we'll have arizona congressman andy biggs in here as well and we'll be sitting down with tim burchett for the first time so on behalf of the pod team i'm roan Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week and take care. I really should be getting back to my fiance. You know, we uh, we had this big fight yesterday, and uh, you know she she wants to to know my secret code. You know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I can't tell her that. The funny thing is, 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 you know, I would really love to doubt someone because she's killing me. <laughs> you, uh, you want to know what it is? <laughs> it's Bosco. <laughs> you know, the, the chocolate syrup. I, I love that stuff. I pour it in milk. It's my favorite drink. <laughs> Boy, that is a relief.